0: I haven't washed my hands. I haven't washed my hands in 20 years.
1: Whoa, 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 whoa. I got to jump in. Um, all right. Remember last episode with Jason Snell? And uh, I misremembered some sort of joke I made over 10 years ago about never washing my hands. I thought it was on the podcast. It turns out it was a tweet that I wrote. uh, pretty sure during the swine flu epidemic. Stupid tweet, stupid joke about never washing my hands. Yeah, real funny now. Um, But anyway, I made the joke on Twitter. My pal Daniel Jalkit took that tweet, wrote a beautiful little song about it. And what I was going to do last episode is when I referenced it, grab the audio from the old song that Jalkit wrote, splice it into the show. Would have been a funny little gag. Um, After the show, I listened to the song again Realized part of my misremembering was that the song is uh, chock full of F-bombs, because my tweet was, too. Can't really just jump that in to a uh, podcast without warning. So, I'm using the song as the opening theme song to this episode. But I have to jump in right here and warn everybody that the song is chock full of F-bombs. So, skip ahead about a minute if you want to avoid them. Otherwise, enjoy...
0: I haven't washed my hands I haven't washed my hands In twenty years and a bunch of fucking pigs Won't prompt me to end that streak No, I haven't washed my hands I said I haven't washed my hands In twenty years and a bunch of fucking pigs Won't prompt me End that string. Cause a bunch of fucking pigs can't prompt me to do anything.
2: <laughs> oh oh man. man. From the archives. <laughs> <laughs> what <laughs> Sud- suddenly relevant again.
1: <laughs> what did you say to me when I when I told you I was gonna play that song and you said there's always that's my there's always a tweet <laughs>
2: Yeah, uh, that's, uh, your version of Trump. There's always a tweet for everything he does. (laughs)
1: Yeah. I, I totally misremembered that in so many ways on the last episode. I, I thought it was on, uh, my old podcast with Ben, Dan Benjamin. I forgot that it was a tweet. I just remembered that Jowkit did this really sweet, sweet song. It's a beautiful little song with terribly profane lyrics, uh, and a sentiment that just doesn't even, (laughs) just doesn't hold water anymore. (laughs) I'm washing my hands yep. so often. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh,
2: I know. And invest in moisturizer.
1: Yeah, but that's the advantage of having been around the internet for 10, 10, 15 years. Now I've got, you know, an 11-year-old song that is a perfect theme song for the show.
2: <laughs> Lucky you. Lucky. Uh,
1: oh, my God. I So Amy was telling me uh, uh, that... All right, everybody knows hand sanitizer is out of stock everywhere. And I think it's beautiful. I think it's fun. You know, everybody knows I, I enjoy uh, an occasional drink here and there. I enjoy the fact that distilleries, beer distilleries, uh, uh, booze distilleries all around the country are ramping up production. They're making hand sanitizer. Um, I think I saw that the Tito's, uh, the the Tito's vodka people, I forget how much They're making like – they plan to make like tons, tons of hand sanitizer. Great move. Mm-hmm. Um, I know there's a place here in Philly. I forget the name of it, but I know they're making it and they, you know, they don't have a license to make it or something like that. But so they're just giving it away. You just show up and you can just take, you know. Um, I do feel though, I don't know if you saw the Tito's one. Did you see the Tito's one? (laughs) I I didn't. No. The good, good on them, you know, in terms of the spirit. The problem with the Tito's one is, uh, they're shipping it in bottles that look like the little Tito's airplane bottles you know vodka <laughs> and it's just like little tiny words like it just says like tito's and then it says a like, hand signer's tagger and then it says like do not drink
2: yeah you know somebody's gonna be <laughs> end up drinking one it just looks it,
1: it just looks a little too much like tito's and a little too little yeah. like like purell
2: i mean with all the kids on homeschool and all of us locked up in our houses somebody's gonna be hitting those little bottles sooner or later <laughs>
1: All right. I'll put, I'll try to remember to put a link in the show notes to the Tito's bottle.
2: How are you holding up? Oh, okay. You know, uh, pretty good. I work from home a lot um, already, and a lot of our team is distributed. So, in some ways, we were sort of ready for a lot of this. Um, We didn't have to really disrupt our, our, you know, business life or whatever. But then, you know, personally, of course, I think everybody's dealing with the increased mental, cognitive load of just viral outbreak plus, um, you know kids off school and trying to manage all that and single parents especially obviously are yeah. super slammed um so yeah holding up okay how about yourself how's it over there in philly
1: ah pretty good you know i i like the three of us are temperamentally suited to staying at home jonas i don't believe mm-hmm. has been out of pajamas other than the shower uh <laughs> it's since for him. since school ended over a week ago <laughs> i'm not sure and i think amy amy went to the gym maybe last when monday and i don't believe she's left the house either so the two of them are actually uh literally housebound Uh, um i i'm on you know i'm leaving two or three times a week to pick up groceries um
2: yeah you're on foraging duty right yeah (laughs) you're the one who's taking taking the uh scouting role
1: (laughs) yeah uh you know we're getting deliveries you know the deliveries are a crapshoot i mean i can't complain Uh, living in the Mm -hmm. city i think is pretty good and we've got deliveries but it's um you know and there is some tech serious tech overlap here you know we've got a whole foods a couple whole foods in philly but we have a big new Mm -hmm. one um you know, I think it's maybe like a mile, like a mile on the dot walk. Um, huge, just just cavernous, and it was built. You know, I think within a year of Amazon's acquisition, it was really, it's really one of the, it's got to be one of the newest Whole Foods. Um, mm-hmm. it, you know, it, it, but there's different delivery services. You know, and it's like Amazon Prime Pantry, I believe, is now not operational it's like that's that's the thing where yeah. you get the stuff yeah it like,
2: ended up crumbling a few days ago yeah. um i believe for well actually i have a friend who lives in philly and he's the one who first alerted me to the fact that they were kind of crumbling under the weight of yeah. all the orders and everything and yeah. obviously lack of delivery people etc
1: yeah and uh so we're still getting stuff but it's and again i do not want to complain we've got food amy's you know uh Preparing mm-hmm. good meals every night, we're eating well, but it's just so like in normal times, you'd be infuriated. Whereas in these times, you're just happy to get anything, but you, you just get like a random 50% of what you ordered. You, you, you yeah, you, yeah, you, yeah. Uh, yeah.
2: You're <laughs> developing menus on the fly as you yeah. walk through and see what's left,
1: yeah, yeah, yeah. And Amy's doing a hell of a yeah. job where it's like, you know, you know, big tent pole items in her planned menu just don't show up, <laughs> and it's like, well, right. <laughs> I'll wing it, and it's like, hey, this is actually pretty well, good. Uh, random
2: protein. Let's go yeah. at it.
1: <laughs> uh, yeah, and and then there's other things like. So we have a, a supermarket chain here, uh, real big, always been big in Philly, is Acme. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> what a great name, right? It <laughs> yeah, is a great name. <laughs> Should be more. Than that's, that's, nation, a but, that's a
2: classic. That's a great
1: name. name. Um, I forget if Acme. I, I think Acme uses a delivery service. Uh, you know, it's not Acme, who, people who deliver it. It's some website that I forget the name of it. Um, but anyway, no. the difference between the Whole Foods, which comes from Amazon, and mm-hmm. the one with the, like, the regular supermarket with Acme is Acme yesterday, she was on, so this was on Tuesday, and she got a Sunday delivery window. Mm-hmm. so that's five days away you know i mean it's, right. again you don't complain but the difference is that like with the acme one you've got this delivery window and she can like add, add she can add items to her order up until like sunday morning
2: yeah and, and then, up until they send somebody out to shop for it,
1: yeah like. whereas the mm-hmm. whole foods one it's like you put an order in and they give you a window and whatever you ordered you get whatever they can find that was on that list right right mm-hmm. um and again, we've got food where nobody's going hungry. Um, but it's just weird. It's weird what
2: stuff is selling out now. Like it's, it's like, uh, corn chips. <laughs> like, how? Yeah. Corn chips. It was so weird. I was like, I just want some tortilla chips so I can <laughs> dip them in my salsa. Yeah, that's the and, thing, and thing is we got, out. we got
1: some really good salsa. We got really good fresh, like. Uh-huh. Uh, pico de gallo and no, no, we have some corn chips but they're, now we're like rationing them we're like <laughs>
2: yeah yeah don't eat too many don't eat too many but yeah who, it, who it, would it's, have thought it, corn it, chips <laughs> <laughs> i know that one was one random weird one there's, there's certainly some different ones we have you know we're i'm, I'm pretty lucky i mean i, I live in a fairly I guess you'd call it you know, rural ish town, right? So there's like five hundred thousand people, right? So it's not like tiny. Yeah. But at the same time it's a farm town. You know, I live in a farm town where the primary um economic output is either real estate because of urban sprawl or or suburban sprawl, uh, or uh farming, right? So all the big money's in farming and we produce in this valley uh something like two thirds of all the fruit and veg for the United States. You know, it's it's actually a really ridiculous amount so we actually have an enormous glut of produce like you if i go we have a local place we have a couple chains you know we have a whole foods really close by um uh we have a uh, you know Cmart mart which is like a western chain and then we have um the this place called the market which is As big as a Save Mart, you know, it's a normal size grocery store, but it is very much, you know, a locally owned version of that, which means, of course, that you're going to find the same cast of general characters as far as foods and food groups, but the brands are a little different. You know, you get all the major brands, you know, like a pasta, you get a Berea, and you get a, you know, the various pasta brands that are similar that you get anywhere across the US or elsewhere in the world. But then you'll get a lot of like local brands, you know, or, or smaller distributors who distribute to indie chains rather than, you know, the like, oh, can you deliver a billion in units to the, to all of our grocery stores across the United States or whatever, right? So you just get that mix. And the one thing that you do get there is like I went and, you know, obviously, Um, aisles are empty and all this stuff but this particular store has a lot of italian stuff like it's it's got a little bit of extra layer of italian you Mm -hmm. know like Mm -hmm. maybe like a you know instead of one kind of sardines there's like six (laughs) you know what i mean like it's one of those things where it's you could tell italian people shop here probably older italian people you know it's got a little bit of italian deli mixed in with all of the normal grocery stuff so um you go through and of course the pasta aisles cleaned out right I mean just bam but then there's also like other weird things cleaned out like you know it's the olive oil selection is <laughs> super yeah. picked over and you know things like that but the one thing that they do have because of where we are in the valley which I think is Maybe different than a lot of other places is that the the vegetable section like floor to ceiling absolutely packed and then you go to the regular grocery store and it's like you know it's kind of anemic you know so i don't know it's an interesting i think a regional thing where you'll go some places and certain things are your universal like a lot of dry goods and things that get picked over but then a a lot of other things are um you know just regionally available yeah Yeah. have you seen about this bean thing everybody's buying beans oh
1: no because it's okay. like it's because it's protein that stays good forever,
2: right? Like uh, dry beans do yeah. stay good for quite a while. I mean, not forever, but for a while. Yeah. Right? They they are. I don't know if you consider them shelf stable. Maybe you do. I don't know. But they're they're pretty. You know, you can keep them around for a bit. And um, people are buying the crap out of beans. And then like I, I can't remember. Maybe it was the Times or somebody did an article where <laughs> all these people are buying beans. And I don't like to generalize, but they're like you know all these millennials are buying beans, and they don't know how to cook them <laughs> like what do we do what do we do with beads like <laughs> like certain people uh are gonna you know if you're older or whatever you remember all the bead dishes maybe you know your parents or grandparents especially used to make you know it's like oh we're having garbanzos with this you know or you know we're having uh, red beads with this um and certainly a lot of uh cooking like yeah, indian cooking or Thai cooking will use beans a lot and stuff like that. And then of course, Mexican cooking uses beans quite a bit. Yeah. But I think a lot of people, a lot of people are just going, Oh, we need, we need shelf stable. Just get some beans, get some beans. And they're like, what do we, how do we do beans? Like, what is, what's the method? You know, like, do you, what do you do? Do you scrape them? And like most beans require a couple of days to do right? Like you don't. You don't just cook beans, like, yeah. in, in 10 minutes. You know what I mean? Uh, and I mean that by raw beans, like, not, you know, yeah. a pre-prepared canned bean or whatever. Right. Um, <laughs> anyway, I find that hilarious. They're just like, ah, I'm just going to buy beans. And they have no idea what to do with them.
1: <laughs> uh I recorded I, nine days ago with Snell, and boy, does that seem like a long time ago. Uh, oh, yeah. I forget if I told this. So the the two nearest uh, the, there's a couple nearby places, but we have a place called De Bruno Brothers. Sounds a little bit like yours. It's it's small, family owned. There's a couple locations here in the city. Uh, as you might guess from the name, definitely an Italian slant. You know, it's the type of place where like the deli counter has like half the deli counter is like your usual staples. You know provolone cheese swiss cheese american cheese ham roast beef and then the other entire half is uh prosciutto (laughs) (laughs) perfect (laughs) sounds lovely yeah (laughs) it's just like the widest variety like i can't believe there's this much prosciutto um but it's funny like they've been i mean going strong uh it it they have been fully stocked on pasta, like right up mm-hmm. to the edge of the shelf, you know, like right. just tons of pasta. And it's like the stuff that they're out of is just weird. Like you whereas like I went in and thinking like, hey, I, I should just buy like you know, just get like a bag of pasta. And I was like, ah, I'll probably end up with all the weird stuff, you know, the the mm-hmm. weird the weird <laughs> the weird pasta. And it yeah. all tastes the same, you know. There's no sure. such thing as bad tasting pasta, but like the weird shapes that you never buy. uh hmm you know, uh, <laughs> yeah, people are like, What is
2: orchetti? I don't yeah, understand this <laughs> exactly. <right>? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, well, honey. I got eight boxes of shells. <laughs> uh huh. There was a lot of lasagna, like yeah. flat lasagna noodles. There was a lot of them because everybody's like, Oh, pasta great, lasagna. Yeah. Oh, sh- oh, shoot. That's yeah, because that's one that that's you
1: fixed. you can't just heat up a jar of sauce or you know, no. just pour some olive oil on it or something. Yeah, You're, I mean, you, you
2: could, could, but you know, yeah, it's but gonna it be a little weird.
1: But there's they're fully stocked of pasta. Uh, it's just bizarre what they're out of, you know. No, mm-hmm. you know, but you know, the way that they're doing it here in the city too is, uh, and it works out great. Is they are managing the occupancy of the stores. Oh, interesting. So, mm-hmm. uh, I think at De uh, Bruno's, I asked the guy. He said they're they're limiting, trying to limit to twenty five customers at a time, and then the door, mm-hmm. the, then the line is just outside the door, yeah. uh, and they're doing the same thing at Trader Joe's now too which was a madhouse previously. I think I talked to Snell about this, but but it creates the illusion. And I just wonder how many people don't know that that's what Trader Joe's is doing, is severely limiting the number of people in the store so that it's easy to maintain six feet of distance and there's no line at the checkouts. Whereas... A week and a half ago, it was a madhouse, and you couldn't even get in the door, you know, and it was like mm-hmm. shoulder to shoulder mm-hmm. inside. Right. So I just wonder how many people are like cruising by Trader Joe's, see that there's like 30 people outside, and they're like, nope. Yeah. <laughs> Whereas it's yeah, actually yeah. it's actually not bad at all. It's actually better than Trader Joe's usually is at like 5 p.m. on a regular normal time weekday. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, anyway, um, we're holding up it's it's and jonas is on spring break too and i think Mm -hmm. like the period between when his school shut down and spring break seemed really half-assed on the remote schooling like the one day he had like Mm -hmm. 20 minutes of math five minutes of quote-unquote health class and then that was it (laughs) and it was like yeah (laughs) back to animal crossing (laughs) (laughs) exactly i mean Uh, you
2: know it's it's the same thing over here They, they gave like they give her our, our kid a lot of uh my older kid she's in school and um, my younger kid's just in preschool so he's he's living the life but uh she got a lot of home work like a home packet you know like they're like hey you could download this digital packet or whatever I do this work and my, we printed it out diligently and you know put it in a binder and all that stuff and she's like no nah, I don't want to do it And we're like <laughs> <laughs> we're like on one hand yeah i mean she should do it and we're making her do a little bit of it but on the other hand i'm like you know i don't blame you i mean you're this grade is over for you essentially you know like that was that was it you're not going to go back really into this section of your grade you know what i mean yeah. and like she may come back on the other half of the semester uh and into that but as far as this report card grades right I meant, this like right. you know this this period's done for you so what does this matter? Like, we're going to do it. And then like the way we, the way my wife and I thought about it, we talked about it. And I guess the agreement that we came to amongst ourselves was it's good. We need to make sure that we do a selection of it so that she understands the concepts. Right. But we're not going to, I'm not going to sit there and make her do 70 pages of, you know, back to back front and back work pages. When nobody's gonna care about them, look at them, or wonder ever if she did them, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like it's just not gonna happen. Yeah. So at this, we just basically decided on, hey, if, she, if we can get the concepts down, and we think she understands these concepts that they're trying to teach her, we're gonna be that's that's good for us, you know. The rest yeah. of it's just trying not to go nuts, and I think most of our concentration is on that.
1: <laughs> it's <laughs> it is hard. All right, let me take yeah. a break. It's a good time. It's our first sponsor. It's perfect timing. It is our good friends at. Yes, please, coffee. That's a coffee subscription service. You spell it Y-E-S-P-L-Z. That's the gimmick. Yes, please. And they have an amazing domain name. Yes, please, Y-E-S-P-L-Z.coffee. Oh, my God. What could be better? Yes, please, dot, coffee. Look, they think that the best cup of coffee you ever drink should come right from your own kitchen. You don't have to miss the fact that you can't go to a coffee shop anymore. You don't have to miss it. You can make not just pretty good coffee. You can make great coffee. I can't cook for crap, but I can make a hell of a cup of coffee at home. Uh, and I've been doing it with Yes Please Beans. Since most of us are stuck making our own coffee at home these days, there's never been a better time to get your beans delivered. The crew at Yes Please sources and roasts, some of the finest stuff from all over the world. They change it up every week and they deliver it to your door. Whole bean coffee delivered weekly, fortnightly, monthly, or just whenever you need it. And you can pause or cancel anytime, no hassle. I love these guys. I, they, uh, one of the co-founders, Tony Kinesny. everybody knows him as Tonks. Well, it used to be Tonks Coffee. They used to sponsor the show way back in the day before they got acquired by a bigger company. Um, and his other co-founder, Sumi Ali, they're veterans of coffee's quote-unquote third-wave scene. They are fanatical about making great coffee. One of the things I love about the Yes, Please Mixes is it's not just like, oh, they find this one bean from Guatemala, and then that's this week's shipment. Their stuff usually is like a cocktail of beans from all over the place. Uh, I know, I forget where, I should have brought the bag with me down here to record, but the the batch I just got uh, yeah, two days ago, yesterday, day before, uh, is from seven different varieties of coffee. And these mad geniuses, they they figure out like how much to put in. It's like a couple from Ethiopia, two from, I think, Costa Rica. I forget where the others are from. Mix them all together in the right amount. It is absolutely delicious. I literally just finished... My pot of coffee, my morning pot of coffee, uh, right as as we were starting the show. Now I'm all out right here, but I'm going to make more as soon as we're done recording. I'm going through coffee like a fiend. <laughs> I, I don't know why. I have no idea why, but I'm drinking coffee like a fiend while I'm housebound, and having it delivered to the door is the absolute best. Um, these guys believe in great coffee at home, and... It's just, it's just great, and they have all sorts of. They ship with a zine, a print zine. It's amazing, very fun. Once a month, big issue, and then they have a little, uh, little weekly thing that that gets as an insert when you get your coffee every day or every week, whatever you get it. Anyway, I recommend this coffee wholeheartedly, even if they weren't sponsoring. They sponsored my site last week and the week before. They're sponsoring a podcast this week. Uh, This was actually in the works before this whole thing went down. It is complete serendipity that this sponsorship coincides with the need to get stuff delivered to your house. But this is the way to do it. I love this coffee. If they weren't sponsoring it and you said, where should I get coffee? I would tell you right now, go to yesplease.coffee. Go to yesplease.coffee. And because they are sponsoring, they've got a promo code, Fireball5. That's F-I-R-E-B-A-L-L. And then the digit five, because if you use that code at checkout, you get $5 off your first shipment. They have two sizes of bags that you can get every week, every other week, whenever you want it. I've upgraded. I just upgraded from the smaller one to the bigger one because, like I said, I'm going through it like a fiend. Uh, And I really recommend it wholeheartedly. If you're at home wondering how the hell you can get some good coffee and how to make it, go to yesplease.coffee. And remember that code, Fireball5. Love these guys. Sign up for their coffee. And by the way, I checked with them fully operational during this uh saga. They've got they've got a small crew, they're maintaining distance and they're shipping coffee out. There's no problem with that. I I had a fear <laughs> I had a fear when their sponsorship was running last week. I was like, Hey, wait a second. I, I should check with Tonks and make sure they're actually sending this out before <laughs> before i tell everybody how much i love their coffee and you should go sign up but they're 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 fully operational and i just got a bag of beans the other day um oh man how about amazon are you ordering stuff from amazon amazon i realize is doing phenomenal you know because everybody has to get stuff delivered but it is it, it, it there's no better sign that the world is not right than the way that amazon has gotten weird you know that they've uh, and, and, you know, I think in the ways that are right, where they're prioritizing stuff that pertains to this situation as uh, and stuff that is not uh, essential is get, getting delayed. <laughs> like I ordered uh, uh, like a USB adapter the other day, mm-hmm. and it's in stock. It's not like out of stock. It's in stock, and its estimated delivery is April 21st. <laughs> right. Which is a month. Right. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah, I mean, all everything you said is true. It's like a, a, a uh, canary in a coal mine t- type situation, right? Uh, or a leading indicator, or whatever you want to phrase you want to apply to it. That you know, everything is severely jacked up. Um, on a side note, by the way, I do not to uh, enhance your sponsorship, but I do use like yes, please as well. And I I subscribed to Tonks before they went to Blue Bottle, and yeah. then when when they when Blue Bottle bought them, um, I kept. Using them. Um, I kept, you know, I added a couple of blue bottle blends to my rotation, but then I got tired of blue bottle and so I left. But then when Tony launched, yes, please, I resubscribed and I got a bag waiting for me. And I think I have. And this is more of a personal taste thing. Definitely not a freshness thing. I think I've disliked one of their blends over the past like year or whatever you know that I've been getting mm-hmm. here, however long. Because um, I think I I subscribed right away when they launched, and I think I disliked one blend. Everything else they've been their taste is amazing. You yeah, know, perfect taste. Anyway, I thought I'd mention. I didn't it.
1: even um, know. I didn't even yeah, know that that's complete serendipity. The other thing I will say, and I enjoy this about yes please, is there's a lot of variety week to week. It's not. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's not. Yeah, the you'll same. get
2: a light. Yeah, you'll get a light so- a South American blend one right. week, and then like a dark, uh, you know, African blend the next week. Stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah, and it's um,
1: whereas other coffee subscription services I've tried, especially I thought Blue Bottle after the merger sort of centralized on a Blue Bottle taste, which wasn't bad. Sure, but it was yeah, very – yeah, sort of acidic
2: and yeah. and kind of medium medium bright. Yeah. 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 yeah exactly.
1: Mm-hmm. That's how I would describe it. Right. Medium bright.
2: Yeah. Um. Anyhow, so the Amazon thing, it, <laughs> this idea that, you know, some things are essential and some things not, I get it, right? Uh, I mean, and it's easy to see that, yeah, sure, okay, cool, right? Somebody's ordering, uh, you know, food stuff or medical supplies. Let's bump those up the list. You know, on the surface of it, you could probably make the top 10% of those decisions very easily. It's when it gets down into the, longer tail that you start to be curious about it and i I, you know like a lot of other people obviously i've been ordering a ton of stuff on amazon you know i mean we do order stuff on amazon but like i've been doing a few things lately there were some areas of my house that i hadn't gotten prepped completely you know like you know go bag stuff and and keep around stuff uh, for for just general preparedness, right? Uh, and you could see all of those supplies getting really thin, and the delivery times creeping out, and all of that stuff. But if you if you order a wide variety of stuff, you it does start to become very curious, and just the I don't know, you know, the the journalist or tech curio person in me is really I- intrigued by how they decide what exactly gets shifted right like what okay so you ordered tweezers and okay those are sort of medical so those come on time but if you order like nose hair trimmers it's like hey nobody needs a trimmer nose hairs right now calm (laughs) down like you'll be all right those don't get you know what i mean like it's really weird like you're like where's the okay how do they decide some things as i said very easy right like oh you know we're ordering uh child's tylenol right no ship it out right now like get get it to them it's quite possible they may have a kid, and especially if the kid has, you know, an illness or whatever, everybody's very concerned. We want to make sure that medicine gets there as fast as possible. And same thing with, you know, other other things like food and whatnot. But then, as you get in the long tails, like how do you know? How do you decide? Like, okay, nail clippers, not a big deal. You know, maybe we'll shift those down the line. But then, you know, uh, oh, a bread proofing basket. Does that come right away because it's related to food, or does it get delayed because it's like you can make bread in the oven? You don't need a proofing bag. You know what I mean? It's a weird one. It's interesting. Yeah, like I don't a know interesting either. computer science question or yeah, problem. Yeah, you
1: know? and even the USB adapter that that I ordered that's coming April twenty first. So I, at the end of the week, I uh, I just posted. Uh, I forget even the context of it, but. Uh, I posted a link to an anchor USB-A to USB-C adapter. Oh, it was in the context of all the stuff I'm reviewing that only has that's right. It that all, you know, we'll get to this stuff, the MacBook Air and the new iPad Pro, they all only have USB-C ports and if you need to plug anything with that has a hardwired USB-A cable, then you need an adapter. This is my favorite adapter. I linked to it and then it, I don't know if it was I don't think it's because of me, but it's, mm-hmm. <laughs> it's sold out. <laughs> <laughs> uh and then somebody, you know, and I went looking for like, well what looks similar, you know, cuz like one of the things you need with a USB-C to USB-A adapter is you need one that's not too wide because the ports on the MacBooks are kind of close to each other, you know, and I've mm-hmm. seen some yeah, adapters right 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 where they can be too close and then you can't use the other port. Um is, you know, but so, like I said, I, or a couple, there's one that uh, looked like a good alternative. It, it was a color match for the, uh, you know, for the different shades of aluminum that Apple has. Uh, looks mm-hmm. nice and small. It's even smaller than the Anchor one. And like I said, it's in stock, but it's not delivering until April 21. Um, again, life saving, no, but like work from homing. And, and of course there's a gazillion of them. So if you really need one to do your work because now you're, you know, doing zoom or whatever for meetings and you have a cable that you have to convert because now you need, you need this thing to actually like get your camera or your microphone or whatever hooked up. You can find one from somebody, but it just seems like that in a sense that is important to people. You know what I mean? Like getting a U.S., you know, being able to work mm-hmm. from home is important. And I realize sure, it's not exactly, as important yeah. as having medicine. Um, mm-hmm. The other thing I saw today and of course it sold out. Of course it is, but it just hadn't occurred to me because knock on wood, you know, here all three of us you know, no signs of any any sickness or illness at all. But I was reading um this heartbreaking story. Uh, hopefully he's going to be all right. Doesn't seem, you know, he's not in the hospital, but Jessica Lustig, who's a uh, like a managing editor for the New York Times magazine, her husband has uh, COVID 19. And she just wrote this. I, I linked it before we started recording, but she just had this terrific essay f- for the New York Times Magazine this weekend, just like, just sort of a first person what it's like dealing with a really sick husband. Um, yeah. And what, you know, I'm like uh, riveting, really good writing. Really, just wow! This is really eye opening. And then it's like two thirds down. It's like she mentions that like their friends, like when their their friends know what they're going through. And one of their friends spotted a bottle of Advil at a thing and bought it for them and dropped it off because you can't get it. And I'm like, wait, you can't get Mm -hmm. Advil and Tylenol? And then it's like, and I I asked Amy, and she's like, oh yeah, everybody sold out. And I'm like, oh shit. And I'm like, well, of course they are. You know, it makes sense, and that's what they tell you if you do come down with it and you just have a mild case. You're supposed to actually take, like, some kind of mix of both. Like, you alternate a little Tylenol, a little Advil, keeps your fever down, makes helps with the aches and pains. Right, yeah, um, every couple hours, yeah. But you just – so, of course, they're sold out, you know, but it's like it, – I'm 47 years old, and – Every time I've ever been in a drugstore in my life, there's 7,000 <laughs> bottles of sure. ibuprofen. Extra
2: Strength, 200, 400, 800. Yeah. All ha- of it.
1: House yeah. brand, Tylenol brand, the other brand, yeah. you know, cap- There's usually so many, you can't
2: decide which one to buy. <laughs> right. You know? And it's like, wait, do I like capsules or caplets? Yeah. <laughs> you know, it reminds, me the, it reminds me of this special. It was so precious. This, this special came at just the right time. I mean, everybody should watch it now. I mean, Netflix was, I guess, down today, but when Netflix comes back up, everybody should watch this um, Netflix special by Ronnie Chang um, it's a comedian named Ronnie Chang who he was in crazy Rotations. he plays like the the a-hole like uh, brother-in-law or nephew I can't remember what the relationship is but um, he has a Netflix stand-up that's uh, a stand-up special that's amazing and one of the things he talks about in it one of the you know sort of segments or bits that he has is how plentiful everything is in America and he says there's just so much stuff Stuff you know in America, it's like you go get takeout and they're like, "Here, have fifty napkins, have a hundred napkins, right?" It's so there's so many napkins everywhere, right? And you know, I, I'm not doing it justice, so people should watch it. But he's just talking. He's like, "America's just the air, the airspace over America is just Amazon Prime boxes bumping into one another, right?" And and he talks about like the speed of shipping on Amazon and how people have gradually acclimated and they're. They're like, you know, uh, Amazon Prime now. You know, I want it now. I don't want it in two two weeks. Oh, you know, like, oh, two days? God, I want it right now, like today, tonight. Put it in my hand. You know what I mean? And um, it just – it is a very interesting thing, you know, how big of a deal everybody finds it, which is – it's normal. I'm not, you're not singling anybody out that notices this stuff and feels it because it becomes a fabric of a reality so quickly. But it's just wild how quickly we are like, Oh wow, Amazon can't deliver it for two weeks. And it's like it used to be to order something. And, you know, like, Oh, it's going to be shipped next month. Awesome. You know, yeah. <laughs> <And> now, now <laughs> we expect it tomorrow, you know, and things going back to what would even be considered regularly very quick. Shipping times is like what is happening, you know. Um, it's it's just I've, wild how quickly we get used to it. I I I ordered something, uh, you know, back
1: back in the old days. Uh, I forget what it was, just some random thing, and I thought of it like really late at night. I mean, like eleven thirty at night, like while I was ready to like put all my devices away and just tune out and watch some TV, and I was like, oh, I'll order this. And then, like, uh, the doorbell rang, and it was, like, dropped off at, like, 9 in the morning. (laughs) It's like, how is that even possible? (laughs) Right. Right. (laughs) How is that possible? It's wild. That is – it's too – now, you know, well, those were the old days. Um, I didn't know Netflix was down today.
2: Yeah, apparently they had some large outage. I don't know if it's been rectified as of this recording or not. Uh, My my team's on it, but I got a lot of things going on, so I wasn't tracking that individual thing. I did see it went down, which – Obviously, at the uh, on a given any given day, that's news. But right yeah. now, it's sort of everybody's lifeline to you know, let me watch something to take my mind off things. So people are paying attention.
1: Yeah, uh, we I, I can't help but think that it was related to the increased demand. We watched. Um, mm-hmm. I think we've got the that the comedy special you're talking about. I think that's actually on my my what do whatever Netflix calls it watch list or whatever. Um, yeah. Because the comedy specials, I am I like watching movies. Amy thinks movies are too long, late at night, lately, mm-hmm. and so usually I wait for her to fall asleep
2: <laughs> and then I watch yeah, a movie. Yeah, well, you, yeah, you get 20 minutes into it, they're yeah. asleep, and you're like, well, I've already seen this 10 times, so you should <laughs> But But with all of the talk shows on
1: hiatus, like, we're big Seth Meyers fans. Um, uh, We like the Colbert show, too, but Seth Meyers is, like, our jam. Uh, But even, like, John Oliver's probably off now, and... Uh, uh, it, it you know, Bill Maher, I guess, is off. I don't know. He, he was, it's you know, I don't know how, in you know, unless they're going to do it without an audience, I don't know what they're going to do. So, uh, Netflix comedy specials have been our like mutual, you know, like the overlap of the Venn diagram of what do we want to watch tonight mm-hmm. on the couch. Um, so we were watching the Leslie Jones Netflix special. Um, so number one. I know the strategy of it. If we want to go meta, I know the strategy of Netflix throwing tons of money at comedy specials because it there's so much. Even even if it's a lot of money from the comedian's perspective, it's so little money compared to original dramas. You know, in terms of what Netflix pays out of pocket, you know, like just mm-hmm. putting a totally aces crew into a theater to record a stand up special is so much less expensive right. than shooting 10 episodes of a, you know, top tier drama. Um, and they're evergreen, right? That these comedy specials, you know, people watch comedy specials five years from now, six years, 10 years from now. You know, if it's funny, it's funny. Um And so it's great, great content, you know, I mean, HBO obviously originated this back in the day, but HBO back in the day would have like, you know, like four comedy specials a year. (laughs) Now it's like Netflix. It's like you can't even keep up even to Housebound. It's hard to keep up with all the comedy specials. But anyway, we're watching the Leslie Jones one, which was um, really good. It kind of needed to it's one that I would recommend giving it more than five minutes because you kind of have to warm up to I did at least I had to kind of warm up to mm-hmm. it and kind of get into the vibe that she was kind of creating it's a little a very different uh very different in in a lot of ways very autobiographical and very honest mm-hmm. and a, and a little bit less jokey but anyway it was crapping out all the time we were getting like a weird error that never happens with Netflix and then there were whole stretches of it where we were getting what was either only 480p or whatever the digital equivalent of 480p was. I mean, really, really pixely. And I could even hear the audio was not as good. Amy was, you know, but it's a comedy special. So it's sort of like, you know, I mean, people used to listen to comedy records, you know? So if there's Mm -hmm. anything where the video degrading is still a ok to just keep watching a comedy specials it, um,
2: right. Yeah. You just kind of let it ride. Right. Um, and they were doing that on purpose. They were throttling, and YouTube as well, yeah. and a lot of other video major video platforms have been um, intentionally throttling in order to stay up, you yeah. know, and ease the load on broadband uh, backbones.
1: Yeah, I was really curious, and I, I know that Westworld is not Game of Thrones. Who knows what the hell would happen? That Game of Thrones was still on, <laughs> but I'm I'm a Westworld fan. Um, and when I watched Sunday night, I was like, "Don't, don't crash, don't crash." And I know that they've mm-hmm. got great tech because they've got the BAM media from the baseball. Um, yeah, the back, you know, they used to be garbage. I mean, back when they first started trying to digitally stream <laughs> Game of Thrones, it was mm-hmm. <laughs> it was just like, like their server just went up in a puff of smoke, and then they like partnered mm-hmm. with the media that was originated with major league baseball and then disney yeah. you know smartly was like you guys seem to know what the hell you're doing we're gonna buy you <laughs> or no <laughs> we'll be partners and then they're like this is working great we'll just buy you exactly um, yeah and i think i mentioned it was now but that's why disney plus has had such a smooth launch is that they've got either the best or the second best technology in the game next to Netflix. Mm -hmm. But man, oh man, that was... Talk about it. I can't remember the last time Netflix had any hiccups for me. And uh, no surprise. You know, again, again, (laughs) you know, I'm not complaining. (laughs) It's just like Mm -hmm. with the, you know, a four-month delivery for a USB adapter. (laughs) I'm not delivering. It's magic. I mean, imagine if this fiasco had happened 15 years ago. What the hell would we be doing? You know? Right. You know, in a lot of ways... It's as bad as this is, and as tragic as it is. I mean, people are dying. So you know, I laugh and we're cracking jokes about stuff. But there's, you know, it's a genuine worldwide tragedy. Um, in some ways, though, man, oh man, we're it. it if it were going to happen, if there's going to be a global pandemic. It's mm-hmm. better to have come now than before we had a lot of this infrastructure powered by the internet, both for entertainment and for the deliveries. And, you know, it, it is better well, now. Yeah, than and it I would think
2: there's it, I remember too that it, and I, I think there is there um one of the writers on our site who's very thoughtful about this stuff, Josh Gunstein, wrote a piece about social media and how how much less performative it, it is at the moment. You know, A people can't go anywhere, so they can't stand in front of, you know, Niagara Falls or in, in the Bahamas and like <laughs> right. take pictures of themselves in a bikini, right? Like they can't right. do that. So it's a lot less performative at the moment. And it turns out that there is still a backbone of that that is about people communicating, that is about people, you know, with all the caveats of the platforms themselves, you know, having been irresponsible in many ways. Um, It's just right now social media is actually pretty good. <laughs> I guess, yeah. for lack of a better term. Yeah. Uh, you know, the people in it and the content um, and the communication aspects of it, the the kind of um, societal interaction. And I I also, I mean, that is, I think a lot of the interpersonal interactions like that are happening on networks like Facebook or are happening in groups on WhatsApp or heck, even iMessage, you know, groups uh, where people are sort of bolstering one another and talking and sharing about what they're going through and all of that. Fam- both family and you know, family, close friend groups. Um, I think Twitter is an interesting case because it's not so much that you're going to go on there and commiserate with your brother, aunts, uncles, or close friends, but it does offer a sort of you know. It's I have argued for years and years. I think I wrote my first piece about this in like 2000, like 10 or 11 or sometime back then. But it was basically that once we had a real time channel of constant continuous information um, that was available to us. We could never do without it again. So even if Twitter, the company went under, or even if they screwed up so bad that somebody had to just step in and do something very similar uh, in a different way, whatever that particular fire hose would need to exist. It's like an API for, for life, right? Like that's what Twitter is. It's, it's an enormous amount of information, much of it, total crap, you know, much of it, inflammatory or unhelpful, but also a lot of it useful, informative, or neutral, right? Or neutral for now, but vital to one person or another. Yeah. And that that kind of stream of information, just like an API that delivers you a bunch of information, then you filter out, you know, the particular chunks of it you want, you know, um that that utility of Twitter is kind of showing itself off right now. Because we are unable to rely – I'm speaking of the United States in this instance um, because I, I do believe it's important to acknowledge globally the situations very widely, right? But in the United States right now, we are unable to rely on a lot of the information that's coming from our leadership about the spread, um, containment, mitigation, uh, and treatment of the virus, right, uh, and the, the disease that results. And Twitter offers an immediate and virulent counter to misinformation or false information of course there's plenty of misinformation hosted there too but think about it in the days when you all you had was the news networks and hopefully you had a a cronkite or somebody who would tell you the truth um, or do the reporting and 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 be in your face about what was really going on Uh, and then you had the official word and that was it Right? Like maybe you'd have people locally who knew a guy who knew a guy, or you'd have an intrepid news reporter, um, in the media who, who did their job and, and, and cracked the case and showed you what was really going on. But you did not have this constant stream of, say, you know, 10 epidemiologists in a big thread going, yeah. hey, here's why all of the government's information on this is BS, or here's how they're twisting the information to make it look a, a you know way that's advantageous to them. And that sort of immediate real-time checks and balances situation while it can have its caveats and it can be dangerous at times, yeah. um, I think is very vital at the current moment in our lives.
1: Yeah, it's complicated, right? I mean, that's basically, you know, that's mm-hmm. the story of our times, you know. It's And maybe, you know, it's pretentious to pretend that things are complicated now and they weren't back in the 60s and 70s. I I don't want to be glib about it, but at least in terms of knowing what to trust, it is complicated now because you didn't have choices back then, right? I'm not saying that there weren't problems with the fact that you got Cronkite at 6 o'clock and you got your newspaper in the morning or the afternoon and that was it. You know, and maybe if you were really a news junkie, you got Time Magazine delivered every Friday. You know, mm-hmm. it, it, I'm not saying that there weren't problems with that. There were, but you didn't have a choice. There wasn't anything. What are you going to do? You know, what are you going to what call the Associated Press and get an AP terminal, put it in your home? Uh There wasn't much you could do. Whereas now, you you know you you have to be a critical reader, and it's obviously. <laughs> a problem for a lot of people. I mean, and it is bizarre to have a president of the United States giving out completely false information. Uh, And this, again, not to get super political about it, but it's undeniable. Even if you love the guy, even if you think, well, he made some mistakes, but he's you know still better than we would have been otherwise i still stand supportive I, mean, I don't know what's wrong with you if you think that but even then you you have to acknowledge that the guy was completely wrong when like march 3rd he was like we'll be down to zero cases soon you know it's like mm-hmm. uh, that was wrong i mean there's, there's no other way to put it you couldn't try if you took him at his word you you had the completely wrong idea of what's going on and now he you know he's peddling the, these uh malaria drugs that maybe possibly would be great hopefully he's you know it'd be great if he turns out and again if he is right jesus christ you're never going to hear the end from them but the president of the united states should not be encouraging people to take drugs that haven't been approved or
2: even yeah and i mean one of them is one of the the drugs he's Describing is incredibly toxic if taken in the wrong way. Without people, a have people have yeah. died. People have died. And the other one is Z-Pack, which is like a pretty right. standard, you know, right. uh, medicine that's used to treat infections. You know what right. I mean? So it's like a mixture of of really obvious stuff that any doctor would be like, "Yeah, of course we're going to give you a Z-Pack." You know what I mean? And stuff that's potentially incredibly dangerous. You know, right. it's a, a toxic blend.
1: Yeah. I mean, I saw so there was some couple in the 60s where they saw him yapping about it on Fox News. The guy died and his wife was in a critical condition because he ordered up a bunch of it and they, you know, I don't know, drank a cup full of it and,
2: uh, you know, wrong dose. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> I
1: mean, I laugh, but just, it's, it's, this should not be coming from the president. Like, you kind of yeah, have it's to. A ma-
2: it's a macabre sort of laughter. You know what I mean? Right. It's just, man, it's just something. But amazing. on the
1: other hand, one, just a small thing. But it's like a friend of the show, friend of everybody. Ben Thompson has been on this. Where Ben over in Taiwan was early, you know. A he was he had his eye on this thing very very early. Got to give him credit for that. He has no trust in the Chinese government's word on this. Didn't believe a word they were saying. Turns out, you know that that attitude was right. Taiwan is really under control. You know the restaurants are open. I think schools are open, but people go out. You know what people wear? They wear masks. And Ben was on the thing, you know, was on team. Hey, don't, don't be using masks unless you're sick. Masks are really only for you. If you think you have it to keep you from spreading it, don't wear a mask just to keep from getting it because now, you know, the medical professionals can't get their, their hands on it. And that was the expert line, but it turns out that's actually not really right. The Wearing a mask, even when you don't have it, actually does help keep you get it, and you can get it through your mouth in ways that they were saying originally you couldn't. And again, I I don't have any masks in the house. I'm not wearing masks when I go out. I'm not encouraging it. But the truth is there is something to it, you know, Mm -hmm. and that's the sort of thing that I feel like – critical reading of stuff on the Twitter and among other places, but Twitter is certainly the one that I'm thinking of. You can pick up on, on stuff like that that you might not get just by reading the front page of the New York times.
2: Right. Yeah. You're going to get the counter narrative that says, Hey, I actually live in this space or I live in in a region that has been masking forever. um, Which of course, you know, uh, many regions in Asia do. Um, Masks have become a part of life, and uh, contrary to popular belief, are not always war- or not primarily even worn by sick people they 're worn by people um, who go out in public who are healthy, but in fact, um, there are other subtleties attached to it that only people in the region would understand like um, masking is actually seen as a sign of uh, respect and care for others yeah. right yeah. Um, you know it 's one of the reasons Japan was able to flatten its curve so harshly is in addition to a strong culture of like hey you know if the government says this is important to us okay let's let's play along and let's um, obey but then they also have a strong culture of um obedience uh, or service to others right yeah. so where it's they they care it's a communal care culture where if somebody is inconveniencing somebody else they would treat that as you know unfathomable they 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 or do their best to avoid it, right? And of course, the biggest thing you could do um, to inconvenience or harm another individual, of course, is like transmit a disease and right. potentially kill them. And so that that particular aspect of it was built into the culture. It's not so much built in here. Um, it's you know, you know, there is a self-deterministic attitude to the U.S. that I think has that definitely slows any response to these things when it involves personal sacrifice, you know, as simple as staying in and not going out and doing your normal routine. We saw this with all the, like the spring breakers and all of that stuff. Um, but certainly with older folks as well, who, who are reluctant to acknowledge that the, the distancing and self-quarantining might help. Um, so it's just a different, you know, you see the, you see the curbs, you see the charts, you see the numbers, but then it Twitter and other platforms like that give you access to people who are living in you know, in these regions or in a particular area of expertise that can give you more depth and understanding, uh, which then helps you, you know, in some ways, just the knowledge is better. You know, it makes it easier to do these things. You know, a lot of mental health stuff going on It just knowledge helps a lot of times. Yeah. Hey, speaking of masks,
1: you just sent this to me, breaking news while we're recording. Tim Cook has tweeted, uh, Proud to share, we've been able to source 10 million masks for the U.S. and millions more for the hardest-hit regions in Europe. Our ops teams are helping to find and purchase masks from our supply chain in coordination with governments around the world. Good for Apple. Um, And again, you know, not to get too political about it, but it's of all the things to be short of, man, that just seems like something. And again it doesn't seem like we should keep a stockpile ready for a global pandemic, but it seems like we should have switches ready to flip with a week or two notice to get, you know, it just doesn't seem like we should be struggling to have masks. The U S particular should not be struggling for goddamn tests. Mm-hmm. Um, You know, so, and, and, you know, good for Apple, good for other companies that are contributing. But again, I, I just don't, it's not what, right that we're relying on Apple, a computer company, mm-hmm. to get 10 million masks to the U.S. The federal government ought to be able to do it. It's something is, it's really gone off the rails. And once we're out of this mess, hopefully you know, it's going to snap us collectively out of a complacency we've obviously developed. I mean, one thing – it's like you could say we were lucky that we didn't have – we in the U.S. weren't hit hard by SARS and a couple of other – similar type viruses over the last 20 years, but the countries that were developed pro you know, they were ready for this in ways that we weren't like the one thing I read was that a whole bunch of countries in, in Asia after the SARS epidemic set up their hospitals with actual, you know, buildings right next door ready for a virus outbreak connected to the hospital, but with entirely different, uh, Entrances, entirely different HVAC systems, so that the next time something like this would happen, and mm-hmm. knowing, you know, whether it was five years away or 10 years away or 20 years away, it was inevitable um, that they were ready for it. And, and, you know, in a way that US hospitals clearly are not, in terms of my, and my heart just, it, we're just not ready for it. Like somebody, Right now, there are people out there in the U.S., especially just New York, you know, the the Bay Area is obviously, you know, hit pretty bad. Uh, Los Angeles, Southern California, um, Boston's hit pretty bad. Philly is really – Philly is very low right now, knock on wood. But, you know, we're so close to New York, it's kind of amazing to me the discrepancy. Um, given how close we are and, and how many people i know on a daily basis go between new york and philly that 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 hasn't been more of a a issue by this point but um my god just going into the regular emergency room um in ordinary times is unpleasant but mm-hmm. my god if you're going in with symptoms for this it's like it's complicated in so many ways because you, you know, just as a human being, you you know, you know that you've got it or you think you've got it because you've mm-hmm. got, you've got all the symptoms, but you don't want to go in there and get other people sick. You know, somebody who just right. cut, cut their hand or something like that. Um, you know, just quote unquote, normal reasons to go to the emergency room. Um, and yet, you know, countries in Asia are set up for this so that if you, you know, you have it or you think you have it, you can get a test, you can get results, you can go to a special. You you, you don't go in with the regular people who, you know, somebody who dropped something on their foot and thinks they broke, broke a bone in their foot or something like that. You're not sitting there right next to somebody
2: who's got COVID-19. Mm-hmm. Right and you know at the moment even even if you look at it from the healthcare providers perspective i mean there um there are already shortages of masks for healthcare workers um and if you get those healthcare workers sick we're yeah. all screwed yeah you know yeah, just so. right and it's just crazy i mean and you
1: see the pictures and again social media really does help bring it to to bear Right, and it's like you, you. I saw a picture the other day where uh, I don't even know where it was. It doesn't matter. I'm sure it's it, it's a situation echoed coast to coast. But like because they're so short of masks, the hospital staff, like the nurses, when they're done, they take off their mask and put it in a paper bag with their name on it. Yeah. So that the next, you know, when their next shift starts or the break is over or whatever, they can go. Take it out of the bag, put the same mask back on. You know, like just mm-hmm. really, uh, just you just don't think of
2: that as something
1: that we would encounter in the modern first world.
2: You know, right? Well, yeah. I mean, if there is anything that make you question question your first world status. It's our response to this situation. Yeah, which sucks. Yeah, so totally,
1: and you know, not to get. uh Again, not to get political about it, but there is something to be said for manufacturing, you know, that there are certain things that shouldn't be entirely outsourced out of the country, you know, that that obviously, like, mask and ventilator production ought to be something that, that every country should be able to ramp up production on their own, just because it's, it, right. you know, you can't rely, you know, in an emergency, you can't rely on getting stuff sent over from China or Taiwan or wherever else. Yep. Pretty wild. Uh, uh, let's take a break. And our next sponsor, good friends at Eero, E-E-R-O. I love Eero. Maybe you're at home now and you haven't really worried about your Wi-Fi that much. Uh, it was good enough or reached the places you need, but now you're working in a weird corner in your house or something like that. Well, if it's in the back of your mind maybe you should upgrade your Wi-Fi, Eero is a terrific way to go. It is a mesh network. In other words, you set up multiple devices. You connect a main one to where your cable modem or whatever other, wherever your internet comes in, hook that up. Then throughout your house, strategically place a few other units and ERA will help you, based on the square footage, how many floors you have, help you plot out how many you need to really saturate your home with one solid network. So you might have three devices to go through your house, but from your... Your like your phone's perspective or your MacBook's perspective, it just looks like one network, one network name, one password, and as you move around the house, it just silently hands off, and you wind up with a really, really good Wi-Fi connection all through your house. Right now, I'm talking to Matthew over an Eero network. Couldn't be happier. Uh, it's really great. We used to add our we used to never get a signal. This is my old house. We've had Eero ever since we moved here, but at my old house, we couldn't get a signal in the in the basement. Or not the basement, really, the garage. And it always sucked when you're leaving. You got you're in the car, you're ready to go. Oh, it's like, ooh, I wanted to download a podcast. Nope, no signal. Well, no problem anymore. Whole house, top to bottom, solid signal. Um it's the ear it's the Wi-Fi your home deserves. They have an all new Eero that starts at just ninety-nine bucks. Uh, and it sets up in minutes. You just plug it in your modem, you plug the other ones around your house, and they have a beautiful app that they just updated a couple uh, to an all-new rewritten version a couple months ago, about two months ago. Always was a great app. Now it's even better, even looks better, but it's really, really easy. I mean, within five minutes, you could have this whole thing set up and running, and most of that five minutes is actually just sort of walking up the stairs <laughs> to go from the bottom to the top. It it It's hard to exaggerate how easy it is to set up an Eero network in your house. Um, And it really is, it might be for a long time, never been more important to have really solid, dependable Wi-Fi in your house. You can get yours fixed as soon as tomorrow, maybe, by going to eero.com slash the talk show. That's the, the URL, eero.com slash the talk show talk show. And remember that code the talk show at checkout and you get free overnight shipping with your order. That's ero.com slash the talk show with the code the talk show to get your Eero system delivered free with overnight shipping. But you got to use that URL to get the offer. ero.com slash the talk show. My thanks to them for continuing to support the show. Oh, I guess we should go on to actual uh, stuff. We got two products last week. Boy, does that feel? That was a week ago. A week ago, when we found out about the new (laughs) Apple products, and I know it's the oldest. Everybody keeps saying, "My God, days feel like weeks, and weeks feel like months." But I cannot believe it was seven days ago when we got these the briefings on on these new Apple products: the new MacBook Air, primarily, new MacBook Air, new iPad Pros, and a sneak peek tease at the uh, Magic Keyboard. Magical (laughs) floating iPad (laughs) over a keyboard that is coming in May. I know the terms. I I don't, I don't want to, uh, I didn't sign anything, but as a verbal agreement, you know, we in the media were, uh, we're not supposed to talk about the the actual briefings, which were delivered. We are allowed to say that they were by video. Um, and so I don't want to, you know, I don't want to violate any spirit of the agreement, but, it you know it suffice it to say Apple recorded effectively a little thirty minute what might have been maybe not an event but maybe would have been like little small gathering things like in New York or Cupertino in normal times, um, you know with slides and present you know here's the highlights you know it's sort of mm-hmm. a typical Apple keynote and but instead of seeing it in person <laughs> we saw it on video, right, um. I I reviewed both. You, uh, your your colleague Brian reviewed the MacBook Air. Have you seen the MacBook mm-hmm. Air, or did you just did, did yeah, they? Yeah, just... they
2: did. Yeah, they did send me one as well. Um, I'm I'm gonna play with it, but I haven't really done much beyond open it up and and <laughs> tinkle the keys a bit. Um, that's about it. I, I'm gonna play with it more, but I haven't had a chance. I. I been busy with this our newsroom's pretty crazy right now, as you can imagine, yeah. and so I kind of focused on the iPad, um, but I did look at the air and of course the keyboard um, keyboard feels great i mean my my i 'm a huge air fan right like i I love the air i I do like the thin factor, the thin form factor nothing in my line of work I mean it used to be in the old days I would do like a, a lot of on laptop video editing or photo editing, especially when I was in a much smaller newsroom and kind of, you know, very ad hoc where everybody's kind of doing their own stuff. Um, but we have a video team and they're fantastic. And so I really don't do a lot of that on my laptop. So the 13-inch MacBook Pro, which is standard issue for, well, what is now Verizon Media, but the standard issue at TechCrunch, um, that is honestly overkill for me. Yeah. You know, I, I like it. You know, I like the power. It's really nice to have it when you need it. You know, somebody sends me some weird 3D thing or, or something I need to crunch or unpack or slice or render in some way. Great. It's cool. It can do it. But it's not necessary for the most part. And so I've actually been a really big fan of the Air for a lot of years now because anything that's slimmer or smaller that makes my bag lighter that still gets the job done, which is largely web-based these days because I use a lot of web tools, yep. web editing tools, all that stuff... Um, I'm I'm all for. And so I've loved the Air for a very long time. I'm really a big fan. Um, I do love the updates to the look and feel and everything that they've done over the years. Um, it, it's gotten better. Uh, and the Retina certainly was a huge watershed moment. But the keyboard on the Air, and I know people like to wax rhapsodic about old Apple keyboards and say how much better life used to be before the chiclet and blah, 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 blah. But the old air keyboard was mushy as hell. Like, I don't care who you are. If you're telling me the old air keyboard was great, you're an idiot. You mean because uh, from the, the, you mean from the, the pre retina era. Yeah. 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 Yeah, Exactly. The pre retina. I mean, I'm not talking about the chiclet version. I'm talking about the old, old version. Yeah. It was just super. Like, the keys were very unstable. The mushiness came from a couple of things. One being the keys had a lot of lateral travel. Like, so you could put your finger on it and move it side to side and it would be like, you know? Um, And then they had, they were very unstable. So depending on what corner of the key you hit, it would shift in a different direction, which just led to this overall mushiness to it. Now, it was still better than the chiclet keyboard. (laughs) Right. It was, you know, still better than the one we had on the MacBooks and stuff like that for a while. But um, certainly was not the best. So for me, getting a MacBook Air with this new keyboard, it's actually very exciting for me as far as a laptop use goes. I, I think that's a really great combo: Retina on an air form factor with a keyboard that's stable and firm, but has that full one millimeter of travel. I'm all for it. I think that's that's a great package for everybody.
1: It, it's hard. It's hard not to just spend all the time talking about the keyboard because it is the most significant. Cha- well, it's not the most significant change because they've also f- Intel has finally gotten their act together with chipsets that fit in that reduced. Mm-hmm. Lower thermal form factor, um, so there's a there's it's very serious performance update with the Mac new MacBook Airs that shipped last week too, and that's good. That is actually good, and it's especially good because I, you just know it. I know it. I'm I'm recording this podcast right now on a 2015 in 2015 13 inch MacBook Pro. Um, no, 2014 mid 2014. I actually. Uh, Undersold it. It is still a phenomenal machine. What I did in like September of 2014 is bought the fastest 13 inch MacBook Pro I could get. I got the biggest SSD, which was, I I think it was one terabyte. I actually don't even remember. Um, 16 gigs of RAM and the three gigahertz Core i7, fastest CPU update. Here I am five and a half years later, and it is still. A very credible machine. I threw the the Geekbench numbers in with my review. It's a little below the air, um, like on single core, but it's you know it's in the ballpark. Which is, you know, and and again, Geekbench is not you know it's an arbitrary thing, but the the ballpark numbers from Geekbench always. That's why I like including them in my reviews. Is they however much they might not exactly measure say Adobe Photoshop in particular or some Mm -hmm. use case as a ballpark number they always jibe with my feel you know this 2014 machine is still there whereas the um the the first round of Retina MacBook Airs was just really not that fast and and Fast enough for now, but it wasn't like the sort the the worry is, hey, what if you want to use it for five or six years and I think that's a totally credible thing to do. i'm a pro, and i I buy a new iPhone every friggin year because I 'm an idiot, but I like to get my Macs up and running, get it max them out, get them set up just the way I want, and then use them until they feel slow, and the longer mm-hmm. it goes, the better um and I think that's a, you know, for the amount of money that these things cost, you know, for you know, get a you know, upgrade a little bit here and there, and you you know, a, a MacBook Air is thirteen hundred dollars, which in today's uh, w- market for laptops is premium. Even Apple's lowest priced MacBooks, it's they're at the premium end of the market. A thousand and up is more than most people spend on a laptop. They should last, and part of lasting is having a processor and GPU performance. That's still going to be credible four or five years from now. I mean, who, God only knows how long your typical web page is going to take to load. T- Twenty twenty-five, but um, you're going to want a beefy CPU. So I don't want to downplay the the performance improvements in these new MacBook Airs. But the keyboard is what I want to talk about. Yeah, um, I I thought that has crossed my mind. And I got an interesting email from a reader today. Like somebody said, "Hey, I've been reading you forever—at least ten years. Don't even remember when I started. Never wrote before. Just wanted to say I appreciate you know your your reviews this week, uh, and just said that you know this guy is also a, a keyboard obsessive. Obsesses about you know external keyboards. Cares about keyboards in the. Line. He's like, what's wrong with you know? Why do we do this and? There's obviously two types of people in the world: people who really are really 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 fussy about their keyboards, and people who don't really care. Um, and they just they roll your eyes when a keyboard nerd starts going <laughs> off about, you know, like me this week. I was talking about in my iPad review, I mentioned that I was using this Bluetooth mechanical keyboard, the Keychron K2, and complaining sure. that not just which color mechanical switches, but that they were. Gatoron instead of cherry brand brown switches and they'd feel a little cheap. I mean, there's a lot of people who are like read that and are like rolling their eyes. Um those of us who really care, I think you know, it 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 would be nicer not to care.
2: <laughs> it would be it would simplify life. But <laughs> I mean, it's it's just truth with so many things that right. we obsess about over the years. Right. It would be much nicer if I just yeah. couldn't care. Yeah, it's But to me, it's not surprising. And and it's because,
1: again, other people, you know, everybody's different. But for me, it's because the keyboard is the physical interface between me and the machine. And I've always loved that bicycle of the mind analogy to computing. Like, I really do feel like using computers makes me smarter because I've got like this infinite memory. If I put it in Apple notes, I can remember it forever because I just always have notes with me and I can look it up, you know? So like I, I effectively, I have like all of my bank account numbers memorized. I don't, Mm -hmm. I couldn't tell it to you right now in this mic, but I could look it up in about 20 seconds by going to a note. Right. Right. What an amazing thing. Like, 20, 30 years ago, nobody knew what the hell their bank account numbers were, right? I know everything. I know every phone number I need to know. Uh, You know, I can lose my credit cards, but if I have my phone, I can call the credit card company because I have their numbers. Um, The keyboard is, like, right there at the intersection of me, a mechanical machine made of bones and meat – teeth (laughs) right and this thing made of aluminum and silicon and glass (laughs) thank you for thank you for that visual by the way right i'm just really we're all just sacks of meat with teeth
2: yeah it's pretty much it you just shove some teeth into a meat sack and you get yourself a human being um, no, I know what you mean. I know what you mean. And, I mean, you know, and, you as a machine are interfacing with another machine. And, and that, f- that's the point of contact.
1: And there's a feel to it, right? And, and you know yeah. this, I mean, we've always talked about like your dad is a craftsman and, and there are, you know, it, if I had been born in another era, maybe I'd be working with my hands making things. And there's, there's a, um, it's, you know, it, it's so- it's soothing sometimes just to have something physical in your hands. You know, right now I'm just idly playing with my Apple Pencil. I'm not writing anything, but it's just a nice object to have in my hands while I talk to you. It just feels good. It feels good to have a nice-feeling keyboard, and I am a professional writer to some... (laughs) by some measurement. I write a lot of words. It feels good to have it feel pleasing to my fingers to move the keys up and down. Right. But I can't... The thought that I had... Today And it never really popped into my head before. But now that the Air has a good keyboard, and I really do believe that it is a very good keyboard, it doesn't quite travel as much as the older ones before this whole butterfly fiasco. And more travel in general is better up to a certain point. But like the stability that you're talking about is so pleasing. And when you go to the older ones and they wibble, wiggle around, it feels like, Oh my God, these keys are going to just come flying off. If I turn this upside down, they wiggle so much, right? There's, <laughs> right, I would say right. overall, you can quibble about, Oh, it would be nicer if I had a little more travel or something like that. But it's, it's a really good keyboard. It's a very good laptop keyboard.
0: Mm-hmm. I yeah. feel
1: that those of us who care, you know, and at a certain point, it, 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 it seems very clear that inside Apple, a group that doesn't care so much about feel got to make choices on shipping that butterfly keyboard, right? Like, I, I don't know any I, – I know I, – I think Casey List says he likes the butterfly keyboard on his 12-inch MacBook Air. I've, I know there are people who like it, um, mm-hmm. but there are few. It's hard to find people who say, I really like typing on this keyboard. They certainly are outnumbered by people who don't. And obviously, there are there were people within Apple who, in a decision-making position, thought this is good enough to ship or that they actually liked it, right? Right. So in a sense, for those of us who didn't like the feel of it, I think that in a sense, it's possible that we really got lucky that there were profound reliability problems with those keyboards,
2: Because all I see what you're saying, right? Like, if they didn't break and cost the company money and raise a big cry about repairability and recycling and everything else, right? Maybe that cadre would have been like, nope, people will get used to it. It's better.
1: Because that's the thing, the thing that really strikes out now that we're and we're not quite entirely in the rear view mirror because the 13 inch MacBook Pro still has the third generation butterfly keyboard. And now that the Air has the new one, inevitably the new 13 mm-hmm. inch MacBook Pro, or if they go to 14 inch, you know, like the way that the 15 inch went to 16, um, and rumors seem to suggest the 13 is going to go to 14, maybe not by increasing the. F- for, you know the the footprint but but just by it going closer to edge to edge on the lid um it's obviously gonna get that keyboard um but I can't help but think because the, the thing that happened is even the people who don't obsess over the feel of oh butterfly switches versus scissor key switches and I like the extra uh, you know tenth of a millimeter of travel and I like the sound I like the sound of this better even the people who roll their eyes at all of that, they expect when they hit the e key to get one and only one e to appear on screen.
2: <laughs> right? When they hit- yeah, even the even the least obsessive keyboard user right. would like a letter to appear once or 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 less than two.
1: When their thumb hits the space bar, they expect one space to appear in the text editing field they're using and they expect the physical space bar to pop back up. Right, <laughs> right. It, it, so all of know, a sudden, what yeah, happened exactly. with those butterfly keyboards is that everybody became a keyboard fanatic.
2: Everybody, right. it went did. from zero to a hundred for everybody because right. if it don't work, it don't work.
1: Right, right. and I, I can't. You know, I, 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 I don't know. I don't know the backstory. I have no inside juice on it. You know, uh, as to whether. Even if the reliability thing hadn't been an issue, would they have spent the effort to to engineer this right. new scissor key keyboard that fits in these same form factors? And they don't quite sit in the same form factors because if you actually look at the tech specs, the new MacBook Airs are like one millimeter thicker at the thick end of the wedge than mm-hmm. the ones that shipped in November twenty eighteen. And that one millimeter is actually how much more travel there is on the keys. <laughs> so it kind of corresponds to, oh, well, if we make the thing a one millimeter bigger, we can actually use one more millimeter and get a better keyboard in there. Would they have done it anyway? I, maybe, you know, maybe that that they, yeah. you know, within Apple, that even within Apple, there was a, well, this isn't the best feeling keyboard in the world, but it's a it's a worthy compromise to ship these things in thinner form factors, and we'll keep our keyboard engineers at work and see if we can even come up with something better, and it took a couple of years. Who knows? But I think it's definitely not off the table that if the butterfly keyboards had been as reliable as all Apple keyboards always have been and as anybody should reasonably expect, that we might still have them, right? Right. Yeah. You, you know, and, and for those of us who care, I think that's
2: a reasonable assumption to make, to be honest.
1: Yeah, I do too. And I was really thinking about it from this one very thoughtful email from, from a longtime reader. And the more I thought about it, the more I thought, boy, that seems likely because it just seems, you know, it's, you know, for as big and as much money as Apple has, they're, they are careful about what they shine their attention on, you know, and would they have deemed fixing these quote unquote fixing these keyboards that weren't broken that were operating completely as designed would they have prioritized that i don't know
2: yeah i I, <laughs> I think it's one of those times where you just you just see and when i say cost i don't want to treat i don't want to see the word cost here as in a negative light cuz it's it's really a neutral term but you do see the cost you know put on display here of Apple's policy of making sure that their ideation and creation of their of you know their decision making process of, of creating their devices is not unduly influenced by whatever anybody thinks at that moment in the public. Like yeah. there there is a very distinct, you know, auteur driven process Um, that apple has and has had a lot of success with over the years and so you see the cost of it here because if you had been listening and applying the feedback and the the outcry about the look and feel of these keyboards you would have been working on a new one before the reliability you know aspects came into play right you would have been seeing like oh doesn't matter what we think people actually do really dislike the feel of this keyboard and the people that don't care will probably like whatever we put out. And the people that do care are the most, most vociferous and the highest, you know, sometimes the highest impact users, you know, the people that use our product a lot are genuinely more likely to care about, you know, the the way X or Y or Z feels. Um, maybe we should look at the redesign and maybe we should explore, blah, blah, blah. But given the timeline, it seems pretty clear that they weren't exploring it at all until the reliability issues hit a hit a breaking point.
1: Yeah. Uh, one of the things I did, my son has a MacBook Air, Retina MacBook Air Um I think it's a year old. Uh, I forget. But he has some sort of butterfly keyboard. He's fine with it. Um, but I had him try the, the review unit, and he, he agreed it felt better. But the thing he noticed right away, and I don't think it's visually obvious at all. I think the difference is so small that it's, for me at least, it's hard to see, but you can feel it, is that there's a little more space between the keys. Just a little just a little more space between the keys, but it makes it a lot easier just right as you put your fingers on the home row to orient them, uh, mm-hmm. just slightly bigger gaps between the keys and therefore a slight reduction in the area. And it somehow just, I don't know. It's just I like
2: think the keycaps are smaller.
1: Yeah. I think the, that's the, the way key, they did that. Keycaps yeah. are smaller. So that therefore the gaps are slightly bigger, mm-hmm. but it's very hard to tell visually. I think you'd almost need, you need to feel it. It's easier to feel than yeah. to see. Um, They just dialed it in just right, and they really took what they had, the basic concept of the Retina MacBook Air, and just made every little thing that really needed to be better, they made it better. Mm -hmm. All right. Let me take a break. Thank our third and final sponsor of the show. I want to save more time to talk about iPad because I feel like uh, there's more to talk about, which I'll explain. On the other end of this, which is Squarespace. Hey. Hey. We've all got a lot more time on our hands than we used to. Maybe one of the things on your agenda is creating a new website for you or for somebody you know, or maybe taking an old website, moving it, updating it, modernizing it to a new platform. Squarespace has you covered. They have everything from domain name registration to a whole slew of award-winning, professionally designed templates, to a CMS system so that you can add a blog host a podcast, something like that, where you post on a regular basis, do it all through Squarespace. Analytics, who's coming to your site? Where are they coming from? What's your traffic like? They've got you covered. One of the best analytic dashboards I've ever seen, where instead of just throwing a fire hose of numbers and tabs and sidebar items at you, they organize it. They organize it in a way that you can just glance at it and see what the hell is going on with your site. Beautiful, beautiful analytics. Squarespace has award-winning tech support, too. You can just go on there, chat with somebody if you have a question. Uh, everything you'd want is right there. Hey, sign up for a year. Guess what? You get your domain name free. Just use the use the code TALKSHOW. No the, just TALKSHOW. When you check out, you get 10% off. And sign up for a whole year. Save 10% on the whole year and get a free domain name and you get a free trial, 30 days, everything. Free trial. Use the code when you sign up, you save 10%. Sign up for a year, you get a free domain name. All of that included when you go to squarespace.com slash talk show. And just keep that in mind. The thing after the slash talk show, the offer code, just remember that because you get 30 days free. You don't even pay for another month when you do pay. Stick that code in the, in the field, talk show, save 10%. My thanks to Squarespace for their continuing support of the talk show. So I, I'm done with the MacBook Air, honestly, talking about it. My review said everything I had to say. The keyboard fixed. I love the new keyboard. If anything, I actually think it feels slightly better than the 16-inch MacBook Pro. I don't know if that's a, some kind of placebo effect. I think it might just be that I like the physical form factor of the Air better. It just sort of feels a little... I don't know. The keyboard's a little lost on the giant 16 inch thing. And whereas the keyboard Mm, is like mm -hmm. just right on the 13 inch. But if I'm wrong, it's identical. You know, it's either, it either feels the same as good or better. It's as good as maybe the best keyboard Apple's ever shipped on a laptop in some ways. Um, The processor's fixed. You've got three options now good, better, best. Even the good one is pretty good. Everything that was good remains good. Still has has amazing sound for a MacBook Air, like if you just actually play video through the speakers. Uh, And they got the price down to $999, $899 for education to get a pretty good, credible machine with 256 gigs of storage done, max done. The thing about the iPad, which I think could fill up any remaining time we're going to spend on this, is in addition to new hardware, they have totally... Like just like a lightning bolt to iPad OS <laughs> in the middle of March, um, iPad OS thirteen point four now has truly rich system wide trackpad support.
2: Yes, out <laughs> of literal literal nowhere.
1: <laughs> Here you go. <laughs> There, somebody at you know nine to five Mac. Somebody got a peek at some device running iOS fourteen a couple weeks ago, and they're like, "Hey, it looks like they've got like really serious APIs for trackpad and mouse support in here." And everybody's like, "Ooh, that'll be <laughs> exciting! Hope WWDC. Hope we learn more about it in June. Hope there is a WWDC. <laughs> Can't wait to try it. Maybe I'll run the beta over summer. Can't wait for fall at the very. And then here we are at the end of March, and uh, it's shipping as of yesterday."
2: Well, yeah, and you can look at that two ways, I guess, right? You can look at it like um, you know, uh it, it well, I guess not two ways. It's two interlocking ways. One, it was quite obviously for to support the magic keyboard, right? right. Like that's why they put right. it in there. Now, sure, it works with the um, you know, with any trackpad that you can attach to the iPad uh or that you can, you know, Bluetooth to it or whatever. It works with uh third-party keyboards, yada yada yada. It's it's to support the magic keyboard, right? It's to support this accessory that probably has a nice profit margin, but that also seems like a really nice uh additional keyboard, a better keyboard that takes all of the technology and learnings that they've had from revamping the MacBook keyboards and makes it available to iPad users, right? That's why this appeared however it is interesting that they were able to develop it and get it all done and it only leaked a couple of weeks before they were literally going to drop it so right. normally when these leaks happen it's like months out and you know somebody got a hold of, of a piece of software through either a partner or uh, a regulatory thing or whatever and all of a sudden we're seeing You know, oh, hey, there's hints of X or hints of Y or whatever. And so we're like, oh, there's hints of this. That will be cool if they support it. Oh, no, no, here it is. It's fully realized. And not only that, it's really cool. Like, it's different than anything you've seen before. It's not just keyboard and mouse support or it's not just cursor support. It's a reimagined cursor. It's behavioral. It's deeply integrated. And it's probably one of the better implementations anybody's ever done on a tablet. You know, yeah, it's it was a nice zero to one hundred moment for Apple for iOS software. I thought, uh, yeah,
1: and even though whispers of it did leak, I have to say, as an overall surprise, this is one of the biggest ones that Apple's pulled off in a while. Because even with the hint of maybe this fall, there's going to be some sort of quote unquote rich trackpad mouse pointer support um, for the iPad. Nobody thought it was coming. In 13.4, um, they completely hit it. Nobody saw the magic keyboard coming. I, I guess the information had a story that Apple was working on some sort of thing with a trackpad integrated with a keyboard uh, a couple weeks ago. So whispers of it leaked, but not any kind of actual description. Uh, and what a nice surprise. And it really is very thoughtful. Uh, I really dig it. I can't believe we're recording this. I think five days after I upgraded, five or six days, uh, at least as of yesterday when I was still writing my review, just five days with trackpad support and iPad OS. And I cannot imagine going back. Cannot imagine. It was. I always write my reviews of new iPads on an iPad. And it was just. You know, I, I know the arrow keys. I, you know, sometimes I'll use, you know, command and arrow keys to move the insertion point to the beginning or the end of the line mm-hmm. and you shift key to select words and stuff. But I use the mouse a lot too. My, the mouse is great for precision text editing. Um, it's one of the things that iPad, uh, iOS, you know, phones in general, it's a problem that I don't think Apple has licked. You and I talked about this a while back where you, um, uh, when you interviewed Ken Kishenda, mm-hmm. um, it, and we were talking about it after, you know, the the discussion after it, that one of the problems Apple just seemingly, for as great as iOS has been and as revolutionary as it's been to people's daily lives, one of the little things that's like they never really
2: got right is like selecting text. Even now, they've right. worked on it, they've right. tweaked it, you know. Yeah, and even the people that that worked on that whole project from the beginning. Um, I talked to some of the people who were essentially in charge of that software um, and they they were like, you know, none of us are ever really happy. We don't really ever think we actually nailed that, you know, yeah. um, that idea, uh, that concept of insertion, text insertion and uh, long text writing with various formatting and all of that stuff. I think it's, Probably best in class still, but you know, with some exceptions here and there for precise implementations of of one feature or another. Which I I totally agree that there's some things out there where I'm like, oh man, that's cool, I wish that was you know on iOS or whatever. But overall, best in class experience, and even then, the people that (laughs) executed that are still like, yeah, you know, if I need to write a long email, I'm gonna use my Mac, you know what I mean? And I think that that's an interesting thing, you know, it's certainly. It certainly puts the idea of adding a cursor to the iPad in an interesting light, you know? I um,
1: I mentioned a while, a, a few weeks ago, and a couple of people wrote to me and were like, holy crap, I had no idea that it worked like that. Um, that there were certain decisions the original Mac team made in 1984 that maybe don't hold up so good. Or maybe they do. Maybe, But... It, d- a lot of it did. It's it's absolutely astounding how much of what they came up with still holds up great. Um it, it's the nature of the the paradigm though that there is a sort of select a noun and then choose an action metaphor. And so like I said, like the official way to open an application on the mac is to click on it once which selects it and then go up to the file menu and the open command and then that opens it now nobody actually does this they double click on the thing double click is a shortcut for select and then use the open command which is either command o or in the finder you can use command down arrow to open a thing but those are just shortcuts to open the thing that is selected. And double-clicking it is just a shortcut. Everybody just remembers the shortcut. But then people who don't really understand that that's how it works, just that short little description, most people don't know. They just know you double-click and something happens, and then you wind up with millions of people around the world who still double-click on links in web pages because they think double-click is... You just have to double-click everything. Double-click
2: means open, yeah.
1: And double-clicking a link in a web browser actually does open it. You just are wasting a click that you didn't need to do. (laughs) Um,
2: But there's also the circumstances where you double-click on something and something unintentional happens because that second click actually does a different thing.
1: Right. And it's one one of the reasons people thrive... Experts and non-experts alike, but especially non-experts who don't really care about how things work and just want to use it, the modern touch era introduced with the original iPhone and now spread all over the world on Android and, and other devices where it's direct manipulation, you're not indirectly moving a pointer around and then selecting a thing or double-clicking a thing to open it. You just see an icon for the app you want, and your finger touches it once, and it opens. And it is, you know, you don't really have to double-tap anything. And for stuff like just launching an app or switching an app, it's all better. But the original, like, text-editing stuff with the mouse really is hard to imagine beating, where if you single-click you know, number one, you drag your mouse into a text area and the the mouse pointer changes to the I-beam, which is nice and precise, and you can put it right between two letters perfectly. Click it once, and the insertion point goes to where you click. Click twice, it selects the word you're on. Click three times, and I remember when I first learned that Shortcut, which was like, whoa, holy crap. <laughs> right. Click three times and selects the whole paragraph. It is, you know, I, I I, think there were even apps, I don't know if there still are, but there were definitely apps at some point where, like, you could click, like, four times and, like, select the whole document. Uh, I mean, triple triple is, is about as much as I usually use, but to, to get the whole paragraph. But without yeah. that, without the actual mouse pointer in there, Doing some of those things is so cumbersome on iOS. You know, it always has been. Right. A lot of the paradigms still
2: exist, but because you're expecting something to happen right away when you tap the screen because you've been trained that way, it feels unnatural to be tapping. And remember, too, that your finger is way less precise. So, right. so, what somebody may think is a triple click on the same target, no matter what affordances are built in right you know to to the tech selection process if you're triple tapping and your finger is at you know uh one coordinate on the first tap and then two different coordinates on the second and third tap, it can only afford so much to yep. assume that you're triple tapping on the same location rather than rapidly tapping around
1: you know? yeah here's one I run into all the time because I like to I always try to give byline credit when I link to a post. So if um, Matthew Panzerino has a story at TechCrunch and I link to it, I'll write Matthew Panzerino writing at TechCrunch or reporting at TechCrunch or something like that. Um, and for a lot of the times, I to get somebody's name spelled correctly, I will copy and paste it from the webpage. But if you ever try to select the author's name and a lot of websites, it's kind of tricky because most uh, websites nowadays, mm. <laughs> if you just click the author's name, it goes to like the author bio page. The name is a link right. to like the author's page. And that makes it hard to just, I don't, I don't, I don't want to get the link. I don't want to go to the link. I don't want to copy the link. I just want to co- copy this person's surname. <laughs>
2: Yeah, unless really? the publication's a, a jerk and doesn't link the right. author.
1: Right. But it's really easy <laughs> right, yeah. with a mouse, even in a web page. And it's really on um, mm-hmm. depending on and it's a weird use case. You know, it's not something it's I don't even fault the designers of web pages and publications where it's hard to just select it with your big fat finger. Um, yeah, but it's hard. And with the iPad with the trackpad support, now all of a sudden it's just as easy as it is on a Mac. Boom! Just select. There it is. There's the person's last name. Copy. Right. Go back to the other thing. Paste. Um. It's it's really really good. I really enjoy it. I, I and I think it's so thoughtful and fun. I like. I have everything running in the default mode. I know that you can turn off. There's like a little. Like when you move the cursor, it doesn't just stop when you lift your finger. It has a little bit of momentum and it keeps moving. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And I've seen. Uh, a couple people who are like, oh, thank God you can turn it off. I, th- I think that might be an accessibility. Some of the stuff is just in the normal trackpad preferences and some is in accessibility. Um, I can imagine why some people would be annoyed by it. But if you haven't tried it yet and you, your first thought, I, I would just say give it a day or two with the default settings. Um, I find it to be joyful. I I think the way that it, it it makes the mouse pointer feel alive in a way that it's never felt alive on any platform I've ever used before. Period. I think you said in your review that it kind of you know feels it feels natural in a way that like when you when you scroll on iOS and you get to the bottom, it doesn't just end like you hit a wall; it bounces.
2: I think that was somebody else. I didn't. I don't wow. remember saying that, but I think it's a great observation. I don't know if that was Craig Maud's thing or yeah, if maybe it was Craig Yeah, maybe. Um, but but I agree. You know, I think it it absolutely has a feeling of like exuberance to it, um, which feels great. It feels fun. Um, I, it also, I believe, has some affordance implications in that if somebody doesn't have fine motor skill, um, you know, ability, or if they're not overly you know, familiar with a a mouse and cursor, which it's funny to think, but this adding trackpad support uh, support to the iPad may actually be many people's first experience with a trackpad. Hmm. Uh, I know it seems weird because you and I, and of course many other people who are listening to this podcast are going to all have used a laptop with trackpad support or an external trackpad on a desktop but my daughter has never used a trackpad because she (laughs) has a computer um which is a an old iMac that i gave her um and you know she does her schoolwork on it she watches shira on it uh you know does Does uh, video conferences now with her teacher and all that stuff. But I've, I put a mouse on there very explicitly because I wanted her to get exposed to a mouse. Because guess what? She's never used a mouse either. And she's seven, you know, and sure, you know, this is, she's sort of like at the beginning of her computer you know, lifespan or whatever, but in previous generations, the only option for a computer was to use a mouse, right? That was it. That was always your entry point. You know, you used a mouse or of course, previous to that, you used a keyboard because the mouse wasn't really a thing or wasn't really required. Um, But you forget that this entire generation of kids and even older kids, 12 to 14 or whatever, um, there's a very good chance that if you lived in a household where a phone or a tablet was their first computer, they may never really have used a trackpad much. And it is interesting to me that this little momentum gives it the ability to move to a location and then snap to it. So it's sort of like a you know, hey, I know where you're headed. Let's make sure that you get all the way there. Right? Uh, and grab this button or this action. And of course, there are all of the really cool things it does where it inhabits I I call it possession. Like it possesses an icon to- yeah. Or, yeah. or a, a link or whatever. Um, sort of like the old, uh, like a Ghostbusters type scenario, uh, the Ghostbusters cartoon when, you know, you you a ghost like uh, possesses yeah. somebody and like they glow green or whatever. Yeah, like, oh, yeah, there's yeah. a ghost in there. You know what I mean? It's like that kind of thing. Uh, it's got this little halo. Um, so I I thought I thought about it through that lens, which I thought was interesting. You know, what if what if this that's actually really really helpful for people that aren't used to the muscle memory of precisely going from one end of the screen to another and stopping on a dime because they know exactly how what the um. The uh, velocity of the cursor is going to be, and how to precisely do that, and what that feels like to their finger. You know, um, like if I close my eyes right now, I can probably move my cursor from one end of the screen to the other end of the screen and stop pretty closely to where I want to be every time with my eyes closed, right? Simply because I've had, you know, decades of experience manipulating things with a, a touchpad. But I find it interesting that it, you know, you could have had a lot of people where this, if they get an iPad and they get a keyboard with a touchpad on it, it might be their first one. You know, it's interesting.
1: I think one of the things people don't, uh, the Mac interface is not, it doesn't have a lot of hover effects. Um, One that pops to mind is that the red, yellow, green buttons have hover effects. So when you put the mouse, pointer over the red, yellow, green buttons in a window, they they've always lit up in some way in the Mac OS 10 era. Um uh, they used to be more exuberant where they'd actually light up. Now you just get like the little X minus and full screen things. But it's just a little hint that hey, you're on the red button, you know, it, it lights up. But most things don't and I think it would be annoying if they did, you know, like when you're over the file your mouse is over the file menu in the menu bar nothing happens to the file menu you have to click and then it you know looks like it's selected and you go down now when you pull down on a menu you do get a hover effect as you go over the menus to tell you which one you know if if you select mm-hmm. new then you're going to get it so there are some but there's not a lot um and i don't know you know you have to really think about you have to be a little bit of a ui nerd to really think about the fact that with the the arrow pointer it's it's a you know, 20-point high or 16-point high. I forget how big the arrow, <laughs> the standard arrow thing is. 32 sure. pixels on a retina screen. But it's really one magic pixel at the very tip of the arrow. That one magic yeah. pixel at the top of the arrow is the magic pixel, where whatever that pixel is over when you click is what gets clicked. The, the way that the, the iPad cursor... For, it's like the inverse of the Mac Where most things have a hover effect And the ones that yeah. don't I almost feel like oh man I hope Apple has a list of these Like I've noticed that like in the right. Like, right. like like the alerts Like if you get like an okay cancel alert The buttons don't really light up I want them to mm-hmm. I
2: I, yeah. I want those to light yeah. up
1: too um, and,
2: and apps I've noticed apps with custom UI elements of course they're going to have to implement it themselves. You know if they've used the out of the box yeah, ones yeah, that yeah. Apple provides it gets built in but, you, but know, some, you know anybody with a custom one has to design their own. But you you can put the arrow
1: pointer over a button but if it's a little bit too high and just the the point of the arrow is above the button even though the overall surface area of the mouse pointer is mostly over the button. When you click, you don't get the button. You're clicking above the button. Whereas with the iPad, there's no ambiguity whatsoever. It is – you is can't right. miss it. And you don't have to think about the implementation detail of, oh, it's really the point of the arrow is the only thing that really matters, and the rest of it is just there so you can see it better – whereas on the iPad implementation you can't miss it you don't even have to think about it you're hovering over this button in the toolbar and you have this whole big hover effect boom you know you're there and if you tap right there you're going to get it
2: yeah and it, you know y- there's a very straight line there to draw between the that behavior and that philosophy which i think is dead on you know it's really Good to observe that. And the fact that the interface has so many invisible affordances to help you actually touch the thing you think you're touching. Because most people don't understand, you know, when they touch a screen, the tip of their finger, which may be on the button, is not what contacts the screen first. It's the pad. You know, and that it's basically where the whirl of your fingerprint. Um, centers right and right. so when you when you're touching a screen ios says oh okay yeah you mean 40 pixels north of here, yeah, yeah right yeah and and you could test this actually <laughs> it's a fun it's a fun little thing if you've ever tried to turn your phone over and enter your passcode upside down yeah. you could you understand <laughs> I, how much of a pitch yeah. it is <laughs> yeah. because they know what orientation you know that that screen doesn't invert But like on a screen that inverts, you're fine. It doesn't matter. Like They don't care. It's software. But if you get a screen that does not invert, that is not designed to be used in any orientation – like the passcode screen, and then you try to interact with it. Let's say, you know, you're, somebody's like, Oh, your phone locked. Could you unlock it for me? Like my wife does this and she's looking through pictures and she's like, Oh, I locked the phone. And instead of doing face ID, if I'm on stand let's say on the other side of a counter and I reach over the top of the phone to try to enter my passcode, I have to explicitly move my <laughs> finger further south. Right. Yeah. Because yeah. it it's moving it or further, whatever, for, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like towards them yeah. because yeah. it, it undershoot it because it's, it's, Adjusting for what it knows a normal human would do, which is touching a point, and that point is too far down. Right. You know, from where they actually want to touch. And there's dozens of these little affordances in the keyboard and for icons and and for scrollable lists and you know, all of this stuff, right? They they have a lot of experience and frankly it was one of the big, big secret weapons from the very beginning. With, that made iOS feel so much easier and better to use with touch than Android or other platforms because they, they may have been doing some of this, but nobody thought of it as aggressively as Apple did. Yep. You know, it's like, what's All the right. shape of a finger? How does it interact? What's the heuristics involved? And the, the, You're not measuring.
1: They're not measuring where you're actually touching. They're
2: measuring where right. you think you're touching. Right, which is like, slightly what you, different. Where do you want to do? You know, like right. okay, I know what you're doing, but what did you actually want to do here, right? Right, and um, I, that I think is embodied in the way that this cursor acts on iPad. So I think the team did a really good job of taking that same understanding that there is a gen general like nebulous nature to the way that this interface is set up because it was built to honor. A finger, you know, is built to to work on a primarily touch device. So what does a cursor look like here? How does it act here? And how should that be different than the way it acts on a Mac? And I thought, I think that this is one of those scenarios where it may not get acknowledged explicitly by a lot of people. Then you may just think, oh, hey, cool cursor, right? Oh, that's fun. And that's interesting, which it is. It's all of those things. But it is also a decision. Like, that's a decision they had to make. To to break the paradigm of the way a cursor acted on a computer. Because the cursor on a surface, for just to give an example, I don't want be beating up on anybody, but the cursor on a surface acts exactly the same way as they did on Windows. And And once again, not a bad or good thing. It's neutral. But it is a choice. Like the team decided, hey, we want to keep this universal. We want people that use Windows to feel comfortable here. So we want the cursor to look and feel and kind of act the same great. That's fine. That's a choice, right? So this whole thing with the cursor on the iPad, it wasn't just like, oh, we think this will look cool or be interesting. It was a decision. And then of course, hundreds and hundreds of other decisions down the road from that, we get what we got, right? So anyhow, it's a very interesting thing. And and it's very rare that Apple introduces a new input mode. And though this is attached to a touchpad, I do believe it should be classified as separate from the interface that we would traditionally associate with a trackpad on, say, a Mac. You know, I do believe it's a new thing, a separate yeah. thing. Um, it's very interesting.
1: Yeah, but yet some of the things still work the same. Like, uh, I It made me smile the first time I thought, well, if I hold down the command key when I tap on a link, will it open in a new tab automatically? Yes. Yes, it does. Mm-hmm. <laughs> And, I'm like, yeah, yeah, and yeah. so that's the sort of thing that when I'm on the iPad and I've got a keyboard and a trackpad in front of it, I feel like all of a sudden I am so much more efficient in a way that wasn't. Like if I go to, just to name one site uh, that I go on a daily basis, Talking Points Memo, a political site run by Josh Marshall now and a whole staff of news people, one of my favorite sites. And I love their editor's blog. But their editor's blog, even though the posts are relatively short, the main listing, it always there's always a read more. Like if you want to read everything, you have to read more. So the way I read Talking Points Memo is I'll load it up in a tab. And when I find one I want to read more, I'll I'll open in a new tab, keep scrolling. Oh, I want to open that one in a new tab, and I'll end up with like maybe three or four tabs with the full posts. That's a real pain on the iPad. And it's one of those things that's kind of gotten a little worse. Without, um, on the phone, without 3D touch, because you have to kind of wait for the contextual menu, you know, you, you hold, click and hold on, tap and hold with your finger on the link, wait for the thing to open up, open in background, right? It's this mm-hmm. tap, wait, then tap the other thing, and then it goes. Whereas now with the iPad, it's exactly as efficient as the Mac, where I just command, tab, command, you know, command, click, command, click, command, click. Now I've got three tabs, click, click, click read them, done. It it just feels so efficient, and it's so familiar. But I agree, it definitely, in in other ways, feels like this new thing, you know.
2: Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, if there's, I don't think that every new thing has to be completely alien, right? I mean, being able to trace the DNA is important for consistency, is important to honor some expectations about the way things should work, because, yes while i get excited about this you know new computing generation and how they're interacting with machines this is a fact of life that there's plenty of us that have used a computer before and we're going to be using this right so you have to honor that as i said that muscle memory that like you know intellectual memory about the way things are supposed to work enough so that it doesn't feel completely alien it feels like fresh and new and exciting but not frustrating and maybe in terms of not feeling alien and
1: frustrating, a good comparison is Apple TV with TVOS, which is the first iOS variant to ship with trackpad support, right? Because the the Magic Remote, what, what, what do they call the
2: what do they call the Apple TV remote? There's oh, a name for it. Well, uh, <laughs> crap! I don't know. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Apple TV remote team. <laughs> it has, you know, a trackpad at the top. I don't know,
1: you know, sure. whatever you want to call it, it's a trackpad mm-hmm. that you slide your finger over. But on the TV OS, there is no cursor at all. You're just moving the selection around, and it pops off the screen. And I can't help but suspect... And I kind of actually maybe secretly know that that the cursor idea that we now see in the iPad was originally mm-hmm. one of the concepts for Apple TV, that there'd be something similar. As you move your thumb around mm-hmm. on the remote, you'd see a cursor that when it was yeah. over, an icon would make it pop. Very well, much like the home nice? screen now. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, and that, you know somehow the actual let's show the cursor when it's in the dead zone between tappable items you know lost the argument for TV OS but it obviously right. came back for iPad OS and boy I would I I think I think that would really improve TV OS like the more you know j- again five days into it I'm convinced that Apple TV would be better if the Matt just even if you use the same crappy remote it would be better if there
2: was a Cursor, just like the one on iPad OS, that would move around. Right, uh, the one on on, on on Apple TV. Not to go into not to go into a rabbit hole, but the one on Apple TV reminds me of uh, when your computer enters a fail state and your uh, cursor disappears, yeah. and you could still move it around. You know, <laughs> right, and you could say, right. "Oh, that's where it is right now. It's hovering over that folder." You know, okay, <laughs> if I move uh, south of there three, right. you know, three inches, and then over two inches. Uh, Double click. Oh, I got it. I got it. Right, and it's like it open settings and and you know turn off a mouse, turn it back on or something. Whatever you know, whatever you're trying to do, just restart your computer. Like, oh, is it in the corner? You know, um, and I think that that's that's the way it's always felt to me. It feels unpredictable because you can't track it. Right. It's like yeah. where is it? You know, who who knows? It's anybody's guess. And I think that that's obviously you know it's sol- sort of solved by the fact that yes, it's going to become contextually aware. One thing I really like about the cursor on the iPad is when you do touch. An icon, of course, it snaps to that icon. So you can move it around a little bit, and because the icon shifts, you know, sort of does that isometric shifting, you know, or, or uh, yeah, uh, parallax shifting. Excuse yeah. me, not isometric. Um, right. Because it does that, it has a little sheen to it, right? It's got that little little shine and it's almost like your cursor is rattling around inside there, like moving inside that box of that icon. And it knows that you probably want to stay in there unless you really move out. Right. And then it, and of yep. course exits that icon and moves on, but the, it's the same thing from the Apple TV. You know, people drew parallels pretty quickly because obviously you could see it, right? Um, because that Apple TV thing does the same. If you move your thumb right. around a little bit, it does that shift, yep. which is cool. I, I, I like that aspect of it. I think that's really neat. Um, but being able to see that that is inhabited and then when it exits there losing the context of it right away is not a great experience whereas on the iPad you keep the context okay where am i headed now you know
1: yeah and it would make it so much easier and and Apple's own apps are structured in a way that's a more rectilinear grid mm mm-hmm that I think is meant for the remote. Whereas third-party apps, including Netflix, you know, Netflix's app is supposed to look like Netflix and even HBO Go and Hulu in particular is sort of weird, where you don't know what's going to happen if you just go up, right? Because you're not really going up to a thing that is directly above the currently selected thing. You're kind of like, it's like up and over. And you're like, I think if I just go up, it'll change to that. you know. Whereas if you had a a little cursor on screen like the iPad, there'd be no ambiguity about it at all, you know. It's I yeah. don't know. I, I, it, this is such a nicer solution. Like, and maybe you know, TVOS. Maybe it's good that it went too far without having a pointer at all and only a selected state that you moved around. Um But I feel like, boy, they this this feels just right. This is the the middle bowl and the Goldilocks, you know, bowls of porridge. Man, this one is just right, and I would really like yeah. to see that get to tvOS. I don't have a lot to say about the actual iPad Pro hardware. I, I honestly even less than than the the MacBook Air. Uh, it really is. I, I almost wish I'd used this in my review, and it, again, this is not a complaint, because I like the idea that they would do a, a mid-cycle update like this, a spec bump, in between major updates, rather than let it go two and a half or three years or something between updates at all. So I'm glad they did it, but it's not a major new update. It's sort of like a Rev B of the 2018 iPad Pros. Hmm. Yeah, I think uh,
2: that's a fair way to position it, yeah you know
1: it's hardly faster no faster at all cpu wise the graphics card you, you and i were talking about this when we were writing our reviews where they're like it's 80% faster than the a10 powered ipad pro from you know a couple years ago and then mm-hmm. and then it just says it's also faster than the 2018 ipad pros they don't tell you how much
2: <laughs> it's just faster yeah yeah exactly you know it's faster uh for sure for sure trust us yeah. Um, I mean, you know, I, it obviously is. We ran the benchmarks, and the comparative benchmarks show us that it has made forward progress. But certainly, you understand why they didn't crow about it or make a big deal, because it's right. just a little bit faster. Yeah, a very Right,
1: but you also understand why they shipped it without going to the A13 or waiting for the A14, because it didn't need to be faster. The, the 2018 iPad Pros were almost ridiculously fast, like hard to believe how fast yeah. they were. And they're yeah. still plenty fast enough. And so really, yeah. all that's... Right, has better camera system. Um, mm-hmm. I'm gonna write about. It does this.
2: remind me. It does remind me of the, you know, when they introduce a new like Bugatti. Right, they're like, "Oh, hey, the Veyron, right? <laughs> you know, fastest production car in the universe." And you're like, "Oh, okay, cool, that's awesome. Oh, yeah, it gets like 220 mile an hour top speed. You know, that's really cool. A, I'm never gonna buy one anyway, but that's really awesome and whatever." And then they introduce the next, like the Chiron, the fastest, most powerful. You know, it's zero to sixty in six point or or three point two seconds, which is point one seconds faster than the Bugatti Veyron. You're like, oh, "Okay." <laughs> Sure, you know, it already will peel like you could burn a pair of tires out in in one run up to 200 miles an hour. Like you have to replace (laughs) your tires after that run. But now it's slightly faster. You're like, well, okay, I was already replacing tires every time I took off, right? And I think that that's kind of what the iPad Pro is. It's already – I've never once gone, man, I wish this was more powerful. And so at this point, it doesn't really need to be until – they do something first party where they're like, "Hey, we need the horsepower," which yeah. apparently does not exist yet. So
1: the the lidar sensor is obviously new; is the first device Apple has made with a, a lidar sensor. It is a huge difference for AR. Really, you, your your review captures it perfectly. You know more about AR than anybody I know, but it really that 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 whole startup and wave your device around while the device sorted uh figures out what shape room or where where what the heck is going on around you all gone you just start the ar experience the lidar sensor kicks in and it's like okay there's a table in front of me you know really mm-hmm. really really great uh but how much are we using ar right now it just all still feels like prep for a future when when they're yeah when a- ar is it's it's like future proofing these these devices as opposed to really changing your day-to-day life and i don't mean to yeah. put that down i think ar kit is amazing i think that it, it is fascinating to watch it's one of those things that is improving at a uh very noticeable clip year after year right like you know mm-hmm. one one wwdc after another ar kit is like whoa that is that's a Big difference from the year before that it's a, a big team with uh, good leadership with Mike, Mike Rockwell, and they're doing really interesting stuff. But you cannot help but feel that really, really, really just feel in your gut that this isn't really about doing AR on these devices. This is about laying the mm-hmm. groundwork so that when an AR first device ships, some kind of goggles or visor or something, there's this huge grounds you know just huge existing developer base of oh i know how to do that i've been using ar kit i've been using these apis for years Mm -hmm. uh yeah i can't help but feel that Uh, right the actual Mm -hmm. cameras are better uh i can't believe i didn't think to do this for my review but the great great third-party camera app halide has a feature where they give you a technical camera readout um and I didn't think to do it till after I wrote my review. But looking at the specs, you can think, oh, maybe this is exactly like the iPhone 11 non pro camera system because it has two cameras, a wide and an ultra wide. But if you look at the actual technical readout, it, it, they're completely different paths. They, this is completely mm-hmm. different camera hardware. Even the focal lengths are slightly different. You know, the, on the iPhone 11, the regular lens is 26 millimeters. On the iPhone or the iPad Pro, it's 28 millimeters, which is very slight, but it is different. Um, Mm -hmm. different maximum ISOs, uh, et cetera, et cetera. So it's not identical camera. Um, and I think that kind that's one of the factors that plays into why it doesn't do portrait mode. Um, because it wasn't just copy and paste the code from the iPhone 11 and did, you know, put it in the iPad Pro and now it has the same rear facing portrait mode because it's different camera lenses. And because instead of the A13, it's got the A12Z. Um, I, I think you and I both know that it was simply they just ran out of time to get it done for 13.4. It may or may not, maybe in iOS or iPadOS 14, maybe these actual iPads shipping right now will gain portrait mode. Maybe they never will get it, Um, but it was just, uh, you know, in theory, they could have it, but they don't. And I kind of see why, priority-wise, that that wasn't the top priority for getting
2: it out right now. Yeah, I mean, the phone, iPhone's always gonna be top priority. So if they didn't ship it, it is most likely because they're working on the next iPhone or they, you know, working on the last iPhone and this, this shipping sort of mid cycle was not a top priority to get portrait mode working with a new, completely new sensor. You know, if the iPhone, you know 12 knee whatever you know has a a lidar sensor in it um you can bet your bones that they will be the portrait mode will still ship on that you know um but they're they're not i don't believe that it was top priority to get it on this ipad
1: for this release so basically we got to review these ipad pros and the thing that we really wanted to review we don't get to review which is the magic keyboard right Right. And I'm not surprised that we didn't get it. And you know, you never know with Apple and like I wrote my review there is one notable exception I can think of which was the original AirPods which didn't ship, you know, they announced them in September when they did the iPhones and they didn't ship until December. And if you remember those original AirPods it, it was like really dicey to get them for cr- Christmas even if you were like mm-hmm. constantly reloading to be like one of the first to order. It was that it was really down to the wire. They gave us reviewers, we reviewers, quote unquote, prototype AirPods to review um, in in late September, and we, you know, keep them until December when the other ones shipped. Um, and in my personal experience, they were physically and in actual use identical to the ones that actually shipped, but they were deemed prototypes, and they they really wanted them back. The very day that the non-prototype ones shipped, and I duly mm-hmm. sent them back. Other than AirPods, I can't remember Apple supplying me as a reviewer with anything more than about ten days in advance of its shipping, and usually about a week. You know, right. I, like you know, our reviews for the air, air uh, the new iPad Pro dropped yesterday. People started getting their their iPad Pros that they pre-ordered right away yesterday. You know, that's that's typically mm-hmm. how it works. Um, yep. So I would not expect. I have no idea. I I did ask. I was like, "Am I gonna get? The, are we gonna get the magic keyboard?" And they were like, "No, <laughs> not yet." <laughs> uh, I didn't even bother asking when. But I would expect yeah. that you know, uh, whenever they do decide, okay, we can ship this starting on. We can start taking pre orders on May twenty first, and we'll ship it on May twenty eighth or something like that. That w- w- those who get review units will get them like you know may 21st the day they start taking orders or something like that maybe a week before right. it actually ships
2: yeah, I, I think cannot, that's safe
1: i can't wait for that thing <laughs> i i just want to play with the hinge so bad <laughs>
2: i am I, intrigued i am definitely intrigued by just every dimension of that like uh you know hinge uh tension uh stability um you know adjustment options uh, their, obviously the feel of the keyboard itself yeah. all of it there and shitty. their video,
1: their videos make it seem like you can uh, disconnect it from the magnets with one hand you know that you don't need to hold right. it down now maybe right. that i don't know you know that'll be interesting to see and if it does take two hands on you know that's not a deal breaker um I can't wait for it. I don't have anything to say though because I haven't used it, and so anybody listening to this knows every every bit as much about the Magic Keyboard as I do and and you do. There's there's not much else
2: there. So what it, what would be an interesting thing? Because obviously people are getting these new iPads now. If they order one, you know, they seem to be shipping. Uh, they haven't sold out as far as I've seen. Um, I, I am interested to see a teardown. Uh, as normally happens, somebody like iFixit or, or another uh, person out there will do a teardown of these iPads or new new hardware all the time. And if iFixit does a teardown, I'm interested to see if the magnet placement has changed between the iPad, the 2018 iPad, and the 2020 iPad Pros. Hmm. Uh, you know, obviously they introduced the new kind of magnet array in the back, um, these antipodal magnets that you kind of, apply oppositional force to keep things to align and keep things attached to the iPad, including the pencil, which has an interesting kind of set of uh, dipole magnets in it to make sure it snaps exactly to perfect alignment so that it can charge when you throw it to the top of the iPad. And then, of course, the Magic Keyboard, the current one that we're using, the smart keyboard, I, I think they call it.
1: I call it the dumb keyboard.
2: <laughs> right the Dove keyboard um although you know i don't know i have i i actually have a it's certainly not my favorite type a experience of all time but i've gained a fondness for its durability and reliability over the you know past couple years because i've spilled all kinds of crap on it <laughs> from like you know planes and cocktails and whatever else and it's it's held up pretty well um but that said, like that back alignment happens automatically because of those magnets that are buried behind the back plane of that, yeah. uh, of the yeah. iPad. And it, and it holds very nicely. Like I've never had it disconnect yeah. when I don't want it to. And there yeah. are actually magnets, um, in the, in the keyboard itself, uh, to help, uh, keep it into the grooves, you know, when you put it at the different angles. There's all kinds of magnets all over yeah. and keep it closed. I, I think it would be, yeah, yeah, exactly. And I, I think it would be really interesting to see what would happen. Or, or what will happen or if anything, with the placement of magnets um, to support the magic keyboard i'm I'm curious if they had to swizzle them where they still work with the exi- existing smart keyboard, but the mag- magic keyboard requires additional magnets say on the the right side of a vertical or top half of a, a horizontal iPad in order to support it better. I don't know. It's curious. You know, it'd be an interesting one, or whether they basically said, "Hey, these are the array of magnets we have to use." Rather than change those, let's make sure the Magic Keyboard can accomplish what it needs to accomplish utilizing those existing magnets. You
1: yeah, know? I, I enjoyed your review tremendously. um I'll link to it. I promise in the show notes. Um But one of the things you mentioned is that since November, 2018, you've, for traveling and you've traveled a lot in the last year and a half, your, your iPad is your portable computer. And, and mm-hmm. I think it's a great story. I don't want to rehash it here. Um, but there's a, the, the thing you mentioned is you can just take it out. It's on. You don't have to wait for all sorts of like alerts and messages and stuff to, to catch up. You can just take it out, turn it on. You're on the internet. You can do a thing close it back up, put it away. My example, I mentioned this to you. I love having an iPad for like when you board an airplane and you're in your seat and I'm usually on my phone and I'll notice something like my example was like somebody, you know, maybe I'll, I'll have posted something just before I boarded to daring fireball. And I get on my plane and somebody tweets me that I have a mistake or a typo. I can quick take out an iPad, get on cellular networking fix the typo, close it, it, all in the time that it would have taken to get a Mac out and get it tethered to the phone. And by the time I would have even had a network connection, my iPad's already back in my backpack underneath the seat in front of me. It, mm-hmm. it, for travel, like part of traveling with a portable computer is like that sort of not a sustained work session, but the sort of dipping in and out. And, man, yeah, the iPad the is great for that Yeah,
2: the bursts of activity. Yeah. yeah,
1: here's my question for you. Maybe you answered it and I missed it and I forgot it, but what mm. size iPad are you traveling with?
2: So I'm traveling with the 12.9. Um, and I've, I have actually never even used the 11. So I've never even touched one. Um, It is something I want to rectify. I actually want to buy one or borrow one um, to play with in the new year because I do feel that I need to understand whether or not that works for me and why it does or why it doesn't. Um, The 12.9 I've had a wonderful experience with because I can essentially have two, I don't know what you'd call it, like they're not full-size pages, but they feel full-size, you know, pages side by side. Um, And, you know, that... That view of, let's say, yeah. uh, my two different back channels, like we have two different back channel communication tools. And so those two, I, I basically, the way I arrange my spaces on my iPad, which I should probably write up some stuff on this. I got a few requests. Like, how do you work on the iPad? Like, what is your process? Um, and one of the ways that I arrange my spaces, my workspaces, is that I put public and private spaces separately separately. So, for instance, our iMessage and Slack or, or Combo and Slack or, you know, our back channel tools, those will be paired together. And then public spaces, like let's say Twitter and email or, you know, email's not quite public, but... It straddles the line, right? Um, those will be separate. So it's like, hey, if you're in this space, the things that you're saying are, pri- are private, ostensibly. And in this space, the things that you're saying are public. And for me, that helps me to divide my work life out, you know, as I'm flowing so that I know. Hey, if I'm saying things here, they're being broadcast. And if I'm saying things here, they're being narrowcast. And if I'm saying things here, they're being said only to me, like a notepad and and a, a, a word processor, for instance, right? And um, that's the way I kind of flow through those things. So the, my question really is for myself: Do those same workspaces work on an eleven? Are they viable, or is it more of a slide over? situation where I need one workspace up and the other workspace over the edge, you know, that kind of thing. So that's what I need to kind of suss out whether the 11 works for that or not.
1: Yeah. And it's a choice we don't really have on the Mac side of things, especially, you know, the closest we had was the, and I've gotten a bunch of emails from people who like me were fans of the old 11 inch MacBook air back in the day. Um, now that the 12 inch just plain, no adjective MacBook is gone. The 13-inch MacBook Air is the smallest MacBook Apple makes right now, and seemingly for the you know near-term future. Mm-hmm. I'm never right. going to say never. You never want to bet against Apple making things smaller and lighter. Um, but with you know the 12.9 inch, I mean, look, it's 12.9. I mean, they could call it 13. It's actually closer to 13 inches than the MacBook Air, which is 13.3. Right? The the MacBook Air is three tenths of an inch bigger than 13. The iPad is one-tenth of an inch away from being 13. Um, You know, it's marketing that they're calling it 12.9 instead of 13. But, Mm -hmm. um, you know, pound for pound, size for size, the 12.9-inch iPad Pro with a portable keyboard of some sort is very, very, very physically comparable to a MacBook Air. You know, Mm -hmm. roughly the same weight, roughly the same size. The 11-inch iPad Pro or if if you just want to carry around you know the iPad Air or the regular iPad you know which has a new interesting new keyboard from Logitech with a trackpad te- you know uh, underneath that Apple worked with them in conjunction with um those devices give you a portable option for a laptop-ish thing that is way lighter and smaller than anything else you know and again mm-hmm. you know like you d- delineated very well there's Certainly downsides to having the smaller screen in terms of what you can show side by side and stuff like that. But um it's a it, it all other aspects of Mac versus iPad OS software wise with the apps and the interface and stuff like that, just in terms of the thing you carry around, it is an option that you just don't get on the Mac side of things.
2: Yes, correct. Yeah, and I mean it makes me miss the Mac the twelve inch <laughs> MacBook. But you know, I, I do which was one of my favorite computers ever. You know, I just I love that yep. thing, despite the keyboard. Um, but it's the, a shame. It's a shame it didn't live long enough to get the scissors, <laughs> the scissor keys. Yeah, yeah. And I think you and I were were in this have got the same information from the same people. But the gist behind that, um, behind that MacBook existing, was like I don't know. We just wanted to try it. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> like we just, we just wanted to see if it would work and it did. And that was cool, but it wasn't really one we felt like we needed to keep doing in perpetuity and that in the future, they may make similar gambles with the Mac. I, I, I think the near term future of the Mac is pretty sketched out. You know, we're going to get a replacement for the 13 inch with the new keyboard. We know that's coming. Obviously the 16 was just introduced. The air has just been refreshed. We're, we know what the near term future of the Mac lineup looks like, but I do hope that they continue to experiment. You know, that they yeah. do continue to do things like, Hey, let's do a 12 inch MacBook with, you know, uh, specs that are good enough, uh, but that it's super light for those people that want that. And, you know, that there are obviously historical lines to draw between that and other 12 inch, you know, models that they released in the past, but that was back when screens only came, only came in 12 inch. <laughs> so, you know, I think there's, there's room for experimentation there, but the 11 inch to me, the 11 inch. Um, iPad Pro. I've been so impressed with the 12.9 that it's incredibly intriguing to me. If my workflows are, if I'm able to pull off my workflows on that, that is a massive change in how you travel with an iPad or, or how you travel with a portable computer. Just like the amount of weight. Because remember, it's it's a cascading effect. So, like, let's say you're the 12.9. Essentially, you have to get a bag made for a 13 inch macbook right Right. or 13 inch laptop um that bag generally speaking will come with you know room to fit accessories that would you would normally fit with that including a a 13 inch laptop charger which you know even the apples are still quite large in 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 the grand scheme of things um and the you know cables and whatever else you might need to attach to that or whatever you don't need oh shut up it's my apple watch um (laughs) i need to start wearing it backwards like like greg um the uh what were my train of thought oh yeah, but with if you move to a an eleven inch iPad, you can go down to a bag that's minuscule right right it, overall it's like tiny, it feels like a like a side bag that you'd carry you know just accessories in or you know a day bag or something. you can go down to that you can ditch or it obviously will fit in a purse if you if you just want a solo bag in your in your woman you, it'll fit right in your purse um without a lot of extraneous accessories you don't really need any massive power adapters the power adapter for the iPad is tiny um you know even the beefier USB-C one is very easy to fit in any almost any bag um it just everything scales down because then you start to rethink everything that you carry with you and you start to question all of it. Right. And you go, do I need this? Do I need that? Like, I I don't really need these USB-C cables. I don't need these extension dongles. I don't really need all of this other stuff. And all of a sudden you're carrying a pair of, of AirPods, a pencil, if you want it, the iPad and an an adapter, the size that's like two inches square and a cable. And that's it. Like, and even if you really want to be clever, You don't even have to carry – you carry one USB-C to lightning cable with you, and you could charge your phone off of your iPad or off of the iPad's charger as well because the iPad's battery lasts so long that you're almost never in sync of having to charge both of them at the same time. So for short trips or for quick you know, lightweight trips or time away from the office or whatever, you could get away with just those four things and be done. And that is a massive change in lifestyle, you know, in travel lifestyle. And sure, sure. accuse me of being getting old and being, <laughs> being less less desirous of carrying massive amounts of equipment with me. But I I feel a hell of a lot better when I'm breezing through an airport with a tiny bag and just an iPad in it, not much going on, um, than you know hauling around my entire you know supply of cables and adapters and accessories and it's it's been a good it's been a a great lifestyle to to work with uh portably.
1: Yeah, and I I I'm an 11-inch person um and primarily because I don't use I never really travel extensively with only an iPad. Um mm-hmm. and so I'm the gratuitous jerk who travels with both a MacBook and an iPad. But I wouldn't do Mm -hmm. that if it was, if my only option for an iPad was 12.9, it would be too, that's too much. Whereas the 11 feels like I could carry this too and use it for all the dipping in and dipping out type things I said. But like the other type of travel, which isn't like going away for an extended period of time, but like back in the old days when Apple would have in person media briefings and hopefully the good times when that will come back, but like a day trip to New York right like hop on the train here in philly go to new york have a couple meetings uh maybe do some work before i leave new york and then hop back on the train and come back to philly just taking an ipad for that in a bag that's mm-hmm. uh, and i have like a shoulder bag that's just the perfect size for like an 11 inch it's glorious because you know there's a lot of walking even more than like in an airport like going to Care. a meeting in New York is a lot more walking and it just feels it feels like I'm carrying nothing not that you know a 13 inch MacBook Pro or even a 16 inch MacBook Pro is that much weight but boy it feels like you're carrying nothing when you're just carrying around an iPad yeah um,
2: well like the, the, like the dimensional size you got to add yeah. two to three inches on all sides of it for the bag. You know, yep. and it becomes cumbersome. And then, by human human nature, is to fill it with stuff. You know, yeah, it's just it cascades. Yeah, I've, you know, I've got room, <laughs> <laughs> right? Exactly. I guess I'll just bring this kombucha. <laughs> yeah.
1: All right, that's good. I will thank you for your time, Matthew. It's always been a
2: pleasure. Thank you. Uh, I
1: wish you and your family the best. Good luck getting out of this thing. Um, thanks for the good work on your iPad review. And uh, I yeah, thanks. I you enjoyed eh? yours as well. Yeah, thank you. Um, you bet. Anyway, people can follow you on Twitter at Panzer P A N Z E R, and of course, you and your teams—excellent, uh, continuing work at TechCrunch. Uh, anything else you want to promote, or, or did I cover all the bases?
2: No, not really. Go uh, go play Half Life, Alex. If you have VR, it's awesome. Uh,
1: oh, my son was just telling me about that. My son was mm-hmm. just telling me that it's the first like AAA game that's VR first or
2: VR only, right? There's, yeah, like it's that. it's killer. It's yeah. really good. They did a great job. Yeah. I wrote a review if you uh if anybody wants to check it out. That's about all I got. Oh, that's
1: the thing you were telling me about that you had to work on. Ah.
2: Yeah, that was <laughs> I had to do the iPad review and the Alex review at the same time and um you know, I was playing basically VR every night for 3 hours trying to finish the game and yeah. uh it is as my <laughs> You know, everybody's on lockdown right now, so we're all talking in our group chats. And I, I you know, I said, I said, oh, you know, I, I got to do X and Y, you know, and one of my friends was like, shut the hell up. Like, I don't want to, I don't want to hear you complaining about anything. I'm like, look, I, you know, this is the career I chose. It's not yeah. my fault that I have to play, I have to play hotly anticipated VR games and, yeah. and test new hardware. Uh, <laughs> like, whereas other,
1: other people are learning how to cook beans.
2: Correct. Other people are learning how
1: to cook red beans.